The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a crown vic. Oh, hey there. Welcome to another edition of the Very Poorly Made Police Beams podcast. I am your host, Lenny. Welcome to episode nine of season two. I hope this episode finds you well. I am uh, excited to bring this one to you. This is the first ever call-in type show. And it's not all call-ins. There's some uh, people that drop questions throughout the week that we get to. But old uh, Ben from Thoughts of a Patrol Officer joins the podcast again. And we answer your questions. This is kind of what I had in mind for the podcast when I first thought it up several years ago was kind of a call-in type thing, but I didn't really know how to do it. And how I did it wasn't exactly ideal as far as behind-the-scenes stuff, which that doesn't matter for you guys. But overall, it was a really good experience. It was a lot of fun, and it's honestly something I'd like to do on a regular basis. But I am cognizant that a lot of you guys that are hardcore listeners, you guys listen for a reason. So I don't want to totally get away from that either. So check this one out. Let me know what you think. And uh, we'll see, kind of going from there, what we're going to do if we're going to continue on with this. I will say later in the month, I'm going to have Silent Bob on for the Law Odyssey Part 2. We're debating doing that as a call-in, too. So if you have those types of questions, get them ready. It'll be, I think at this point, we're planning on recording Sunday the 22nd. But if you know you're not going to be able to be on the podcast for whatever reason, send me an email or DM me whatever question you have for Silent Bob. Legal-wise, and remember, he's not going to give you legal advice over a fucking podcast, but legal-ish type questions that maybe you don't know about or you want some clarification on, maybe we can help you out with. And then, of course, all the dumb stuff that goes with that. Now, before we get into the meat of the podcast, I have to give big thanks to Officer Privacy, who presents all our Sunday podcasts. A couple weeks ago, I talked to Sergeant Manningly with the uh, Louisville Police Department, and... He talked about when he was involved in the, the Breonna Taylor thing, people doxed him. They found his information. Recently, he had the Grand Rapids thing, which we'll talk about a little bit on the podcast. They just released the officer's name, but I'm telling you, weeks ago, when this thing first hit, I saw posts on news articles where people had sent in screenshots of the officer's name and where he lives. This is a real thing that can happen to you. Another great example that Officer Privacy posted about the other day was you go on some type of call, guy's unhappy with you, he looks at your name tag, he figures out where you live just based off of that and shows up at your door. This type of stuff is real and can happen to you, but this is how officer privacy can help. 
OfficerPrivacy.com has two ways to help you take your privacy back. First, do it yourself. Officer Privacy created a custom, easy-to-use software so you can quickly navigate through the top 30 people search sites and delete your information. They have instructions for each site, and they include a simple way how to keep track of it all. They provide access to their software free for 14 days. This is plenty of time to go through and remove your information. Or sign up for their premium service. OfficerPrivacy.com takes care of everything for you. You sign up, and OfficerPrivacy.com staff of current and former U.S.-based law enforcement officers will remove you from the top 30 people search sites. Then they monitor the sites, and if you show up again, they remove you again. Simple as that. So go check out my friends, OfficerPrivacy.com. All right, before we get into the podcast, let's go ahead and play our band with a law enforcement member. And this week we have up, and this week we have up Catch the Light and their song, Castle Gates. And we'll be right back with Ben. Thanks for your service, Bob. All right, now the moment you've all been waiting for, the potential train wreck of the Sheepdog Blue Line call-in show with Ben from Thoughts of a Patrol Officer. Ben, Hi, everybody. Thanks for your service. Hey, you're welcome. Did you do you notice that was the name of the meeting? I named it. Thanks for your service. I, I don't notice these things. Yeah, I, I used to put like fun little things into the meetings, but nobody looks at them. They just hit and then they go. So... So here's what's going to happen on this podcast. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. I just sent something over Facebook and Instagram saying, hey, if you have questions and you want to be on the podcast, I'll send you a link. And we're going to see what happens. We have a few people that are interested and we're going to kind of go from there. And then we also have some questions that people have sent in over the last couple of days that we'll, we'll try and get into. But before we get into all that, or we're waiting on some people to show up. Ben, how are you, buddy? I'm good, man. Um, I work today. And, you know, a funny thing that happened at work today, my, my wife and I, we, we pack each other's lunches occasionally. And, uh, she, she packed our lunches last night and we put it in like Tupperware containers. Well, we also put everything else in the refrigerator in Tupperware containers. And I was exhausted. I get up at four 45, cook my breakfast, go to work, grab my lunch. When it was time for lunch, I opened it up. I had like three pieces of broccoli. I grabbed the wrong container. Oh, that's always a bad day. <laughs> but well, that was my day today. Here's what makes that a good day, though. Then you have an excuse to go out to eat. I did. I had two double cheeseburgers for when, from Wendy's for dinner tonight. You know, I think Wendy's is vastly underrated. Like everybody talks, you know, the big game about, you know, Whataburger and Brahms. And well, I talk about Brahms. Nobody else talks about Brahms and um, in and out yeah. Wendy's is fucking legit. You can't go wrong with Wendy's. They're it's they're good. They're they're thick and meaty, um, just the way I That's like them. Said. And it it kind of drools down your chin, dribbles Jesus. a little bit um, when you have it in your mouth. It's fantastic. You have to wash your hands afterwards. Those are all things that I look for in a delicious mouthful of meat. That was concerning. All of that was <laughs> really, really concerning. Wendy's is legit, man. That's all I can say. That. That really bugged me. Speaking of meat and juices rolling down your mouth, I recorded the other night the Swinger episode, which is not out right now. <laughs> Holy shit, man. That was I a was, great segue. <laughs> I was really, really out of my element for that. That was, 
you know, I, I'm very comfortable talking shop, you know, cop wise stuff. But then when you get into yeah. some of this other stuff, I was just, I was kind of dumbfounded, but it was, I really like that that podcast, and I'm not sure where that's going to come out in comparison to this because my life's kind of jumbled because I'm trying to record a bunch of podcasts because my kids play baseball, all of them, and they're on different teams, and I don't know what state I'm going to be in for most of May, so it's going to be a little rough, So, which I, I assume some of those swinging encounters are a little rough too, but so that was a bad segue. That wasn't even good. Yeah. <laughs> As we as we wait um, for our first caller to come in, let's let's start with a dangerous subject, which I got to be honest, I haven't watched the video in like two weeks. The Grand Rapids thing. We haven't really talked about that a whole lot on the podcast. And me and you have kind of talked about it a little bit. What are what are your kind of initial thoughts off of that whole thing? (sighs) Well, I think uh, if you just watch the cell phone footage, it seems like it's pretty simple, but when you watch all the footage put together, it's not quite so simple um, to the extent that I did a whole hour or hour and a half live stream talking about it. My initial thought watching the cell phone footage itself was that the officer um, was too quick to go to his taser and that put him in a bad position where he had to use lethal force. Um, after watching the entire video, though, my my thoughts changed on it. Yeah, I it's really easy to Monday morning quarterback these things and we're all guilty of it. The first piece of video I had ever seen of it was just the cell phone part without audio. So I didn't know about the taser or anything. And I was like, Oh fuck, that's bad. Yeah. Um, And then I watched, you know, the, the initial body camera stuff and then the cell phone video and put it all together. Is it, is it the best policing that I've ever seen? No, it's not. It's, it's not. And as I thought about this more and more, I don't know this dude, right? Mm-hmm. We've all been on those traffic stops that maybe get a little funky, but they don't get all the way funky, if that makes any sense. And maybe his guard was down or whatever, but it it almost seemed the beginning of the stop, there wasn't like the sense of urgency. Like, hey, get back in the car. Hey, don't, you know, and he, there was, he wasn't crystal clear on what he wanted. I, I would have handled things differently in my head, but I, I wasn't yeah. there. You know, it could be just one of those things where I'm like, ah, this, this guy's yeah. fucking around. He's not, he's not a threat. And then as things started to kind of roll sideways, then it really escalated very quickly. I have some thoughts about some of the tactics early on, like the tasing thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of guys that'll argue, well, he should have been hands-on. I, I'm not a big fan of the taser in that situation. I don't know that I would have gone to the taser, but that dude was a pretty big fella, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there was something I was going to say, but I, I lost my train of thought, but I, oh, one thing that I, I want to kind of, cause you know, you're, you're talking about the taser, but you're skipping over like three or four uses of force that he had prior to the taser. And I think that's something that a lot of people are doing. And it's like, was it the best police work? Like you said, no, absolutely not. Would I have done it differently? I would like to think that I would, but I also, like you said, I wasn't in that position. So I can't say with hundred percent certainty that I wouldn't have done that, you know, cause it, it wasn't me. Um, I've been in somewhat similar positions before and I've never shot anybody in that case, but you know, he, he did do what, and where I work, we call it a level one grounding technique. He ran and tackled the guy. Um, the guy overpowered him and he stood up and then um, he transitioned to knee strikes. 
Um, Which we talked about. I'd have to rewatch the video. I didn't really remember seeing the knee strikes so much, but yeah, he, he did. It was when the guy stands up and he's kind of hanging on to him and he's and the officer's somewhat being drug across the yard, like, or he's, he's holding on to the guy trying to stop him from walking away. And the guy's pulling him trying to get away from the officer and walking away. The officer tried multiple knee strikes to the, is it the common peroneal that goes alongside your leg? You're um, asking the wrong guy, but yes, I, I believe it is. And you know, that, you know, <laughs> that's what, that's what we're trained to do. We're trained to say, Hey, you know, here's a, here's a wonderful technique. If you hit this nerve, they will drop like a sack of potatoes. So the officer was reacting to the training that he's received. And unfortunately, and it, that might have, it might've terrified him. The fact that he's like, wait a minute in training, my training partner, I barely brush up against his leg and he falls to the ground every single time. Not that we're supposed to be kneeing the shit out of each other when we go to training, but um, he's like, man, he's like, I'm hitting this guy with everything I got. He's not going down. I got to get my taser, you know? And it was, a, it would be, I would say the taser deployment would have been an ill-advised position to try to tase somebody. To get yeah, out of your, and your I guess to jump back a little bit as far as the, the stuff that happened in the yard, it, some of that stuff was kind of tough to see as far as like the body, he was wearing a body camera and things like that. I, you know what, we'll, we'll get to the, something I wanted to talk about in a second, but as far as, so the taser doesn't work and, and the body camera gets shut off and then they're on the ground and then the, the guy's recording it. And I watched a news press conference or it was a news story where a reporter made a statement that you know this guy was just laying on the ground and the cop shot him in the back of the head he wasn't just laying on the ground he was getting up yeah he, he was had still the guy's very taser. actively resisting yeah the, a taser is you know people say well a taser isn't a deadly force weapon okay the way cops are trained somebody takes your taser and they tase you with it, what are they going to do? They're going to try and get your gun. They're going to whatever. At that point, I, I would say deadly force is advised. Would you agree with that? No, absolutely. And I, I believe that the courts also will rule on that and have. I have two, two things off of that. The first thing that I was going to ask you, just because we're here, what do you think? You're in a situation where, and here's the other thing that I think is going to come out is that car was stolen. Everybody's playing off that this guy is like some innocent dude. It, it somebody I saw it reported the guy has a history of being in stolen cars. So the guy was likely in a stolen car. Like he wasn't an idiot. Like he knew he was in trouble. And that's why this all went off the way it did. What are your thoughts on just letting the guy run? Like if you're that cop in that position, you're by yourself, he's overpowering you. Would you just let him go? No, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree Never. with you 110%. Yeah. But that's um, an argument that people make is like, well, just let him go get him yeah. later. Or, or I've seen it in the news several times, like, oh, they already had his car. They could have just found him later. Yeah. A, it was probably a stolen car. So you're, you're being ignorant about that. And it was a misuse plate was the whole reason for the stop. So you don't have his car. You don't know if it's he's the right person associated with the car. The other part, and I made a meme about it. You don't get to fucking pick when you go to jail. OK, I'm so fucking sick of that shit. That, that's not how this should work. And unfortunately, there's a lot of places that's how it works now. It's like, oh, he's fighting. We'll get him later. That's yeah. fucking horrendous bullshit. Why are we encouraging people to fight? No, it's it's that's a silly point. And I, I see it a lot. I saw it on the comments on the video that I made about it. They're like, 
you know, this is BS because they had his ID. They knew who he was. They could have got him later. No, they did not have his ID. He fucked around and lied about having it and said it was in the car. That was a distraction technique. They had a vehicle that he was driving. They don't have know anything about that vehicle. The tags could have been stolen. Tags could have been tags for anything. You have zero idea who this person was. And if that was my car, and let's say it was stolen because that's what the indications are. I don't know if it, it could have also very well been his car that he took tags and just hadn't transferred them over. Um, that could be what happened. But all the indicators for a police officer is, hey, this is a stolen car. This guy is driving someone else's car. That person probably wants him prosecuted. And it's my responsibility to make sure that that happens. So I'm not going to let him go. And I don't know who he is. Um, yeah, not not happening. I agree. The final question, and then we're going to get to our, our very first caller of the Blue Line Sheepdog Show or whatever we're calling this. <laughs> um, do you think that officer is going to get charged? No, I don't. I think he is. I don't think he should, but I think they're going to find a way to do it. I, I hope I'm I'm wrong. It's like the Atlanta thing. Those guys should yeah. have never been charged. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. You ready for Michigan, our... So we'll find out. Yeah. Are you ready for our first caller? I am ready for the first caller. Okay. Dana, did I say your name right? What is happening right now? Yeah. We're going for a tour of we are going for a Dana's tour house. It looks like a lovely ranch style single story home. I don't know how much of this is gonna make the cut. I can hear you better now. No, wait, we're gonna try this all over again. Pretend none of that I can. I think I can hear you now. Can you hear yeah. us? We're both here. Are you there? Oh, no. This is not good. <laughs> this is very high quality. <laughs> this, is, this is all getting cut out. You know what? It's one of the things that's too bad we're not doing video here because we could have actually left it in and just read her question. Yeah. Okay, so I tried to have our first caller on and it was massive failure like most things in my life like my dad says i'm a massive failure but so it didn't <laughs> really quite work out so instead of you guys suffering through all the emotional damage of that not working out we're just going to ask her question so her question was geared towards us more if we'd been on the job for a little bit longer but the question was if you've been around for 15 or 20 years what did you think policing would be right now and now that we're here what do you think policing is going to be 15 to 20 years from now? So I guess we can only speak to our experience. What did you, when you started 10 years ago, what did you think policing was going to be right now? <clears throat> oh, well, you know, I want to start a little bit before that, because I want to talk about what I thought policing was going to be like before I became a police officer. Cause Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Cause I had, man, I had a lot of friends telling me that I should be a cop. And I had clients when I worked at the bank that were cops. Um, there was a couple that I, that was, they were like my wife's friends and the uh, husband was a police officer. He was actually a Lieutenant at the time with like 20 years on. And uh, we'd go out to have wings and stuff like that. And he kept telling me that I need to be a cop. And I remember looking at him and saying, no, like I am not going to waste my time going out and writing speeding tickets all day. That is not, and I, I was like, I've had speeding tickets in my life. I'm like, fuck that. That's a waste of time. I'm not going to be a cop. 
And uh, he looked at me and he goes, you know how many speeding tickets I've written? And he held up a big zero with his hand. He's like 20 years, never a single speeding ticket. And I was like, well, what the hell do you do? And then he started telling me a little bit about what you do. And uh, I, then I met some other cops and so I came on and um, then I realized, especially when you work in a large city and you work in the inner city, um, traffic enforcement is definitely not something that the majority of police officers do. They're trying to do like street level enforcement, um, watching drug deals go down or following people, watching dudes pick up hookers, stopping the car, searching, you know, doing that kind of kind of stuff in the inner city. That's what I got into when I started. And the other funny thing is I went through the academy. I was a little bit older. Um, my idea of what I was going to do when I got out of the academy, because I had already had my fun. I was in the military with multiple combat tours. Yeah, I don't. I didn't do this for excitement. Um, you so didn't do like, it for us. <laughs> I didn't do it for you. <laughs> um, I I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. I work for a, a, a city that's large enough that some of the suburbs are actually covered by our jurisdiction. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out to one of those suburb precincts. I'm just going to help get cats out of trees and do like the nice guy police stuff. And then um, I went through coaching and probation and I realized that's not the kind of cop I wanted to be. I put myself on, you know, in inner city precincts. And it's like I said before, you know, we were out um, harassing dope boys, following hookers around, following them up the dope houses, stalking dope houses, snatching people that came out of these houses, getting guns, dope, um, all that kind of stuff, writing you know, or stopping somebody for jaywalking, finding a way in their pockets and getting a gun and like a, a high felony level of crack cocaine or something like that. That's what it was like when I came on. And it's, man, how to say, did I ever think that was going to change? No. <laughs> um, change the way that it's changed now, where officers are almost afraid to do that kind of police work. Um, all of the low level offenses that we used to use to get people under arrest, to get in their pockets, um, to find the larger offenses, we're being told that we're not allowed to, in some cases, even write a summons for, um, let alone take someone to jail for. So I didn't see that coming. I do think that things are going to swing around, but I think it's going to take a long time. Maybe another, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't take 10 years. I, you're more of an optimist than me. And I had a lot of time to think about this while you were talking. Sorry, that sounded mean. But that's not what I meant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about this. And I, when I started, it was, it was kind of the same way, right? It was kind of, and Grant, and, and we probably started around the same year. Cause you, yeah, I was a year ahead of you. I, I went into this with the, um, this is awesome, right? Everything's awesome. Everything's cool. And we kicked ass, man. We did a lot of great stuff. We took dope and guns off the street. And then every year, every single year, it was a little, cranked it off a little bit less. All right, we're going to stop doing this. Or we're going to stop doing this. And every year in crime, we just go up just a little bit, a little bit. Things would just get a little bit worse each year. And initially, I was like, this is just growth as a police officer. Because, you know, the guys that had 20 years on when I started, you know, started in the 90s. And they're like, oh, everything fucking sucks compared to now. Where I'm like, oh, what? You know, things just change. That's just part of life. Things change. But then, you know, 14 hit and then 2020 hit. 
and there was these just huge fucking changes. And it didn't matter where you were in the country, big city wise, you were affected by these changes. You know, I, I don't fucking know who um, Derek Chauvin is, but fuck, I am him, right? Even you're looked upon that way, even by your own administration, it felt like, right? Like, hey, don't be kneeling on people's necks. What the fuck? I wasn't there. It didn't feel like it. They were saying it out loud. Yeah. Yes. So things got really wild there. And so what happened? And this kind of bleeds into another question somebody had, because, and we'll try and kill some birds with stones or however that goes, is, sorry, I thought that was really funny. I'm giggling to myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, the the other question was how the defund movement has changed everything. And people still are so blind to realize when you present them with, hey, murders are up because proactive policing stops shit before it happens, okay? There's not a great way to stop things before they happen because you can't predict the future. But you know what you can do? You can take guns off felons. You can put felons in jail, known gang members that are felons. You can put them in jail for having guns. What did we stop doing? Powpo? Nobody cares about a fucking Powpo anymore. Nobody gives a shit. Those guys, you know, write them a ticket for having a fucking stolen gun anymore. So now you're the people that maybe there would be an intervention. Maybe you get them in jail. Maybe you, whatever. You're not doing that now. And so people are dying in record, record numbers. And you know who's dying? Do you know who's dying? It's not people in suburbia. It's not people out in the country. It's people in inner cities. The people in inner cities have been neglected by the people that claim to care about them. Yeah. It's and, and we can't, uh, there should be a fucking apology. Like, Hey, we were wrong. Look, we can, we can all stand up and say some of the shit that cops did was bad. Derek Chauvin shouldn't have been on that dude's neck. That dude should have never, I mean, who knows? He had, I'm going to upset some people, but I mean the, the fentanyl, everybody's talking about fentanyl. What was in this guy's system, but what was done there was wrong. Okay. We can't stand behind that type of police work. But just because that guy fucked up doesn't mean we have to change everything we've learned over the last 20 years because that guy fucked up. I'm so fucking tired of hearing how police departments are systematically racist and blah, blah, blah. Who's killing each other? <laughs> Who's fucking killing each other? Stop killing each other. Can I, can I segue that? Go for it. Because uh, it's right along those lines of all the systemic racism and the cultural racism and all the the systems that propagate this thing. And one of the things that, that people will complain about are um, these so-called food deserts. I don't know if you've heard this word, this term before, but with they, they're talking about these impoverished neighborhoods that are incredibly high crime neighborhoods. People live in them, but they have to buy almost all their food from convenience stores. Um, there's no major grocery stores there. There's no nice restaurants in those areas. And people who come from that side of the um, activism they'll say look this is just another way to keep these people down this is racism these these companies refuse to serve this population um the the funny thing is we were, we were talking about the, the, this this morning um because of a, a, a restaurant leaving an area that i'll tell you about in a moment but that's what started this conversation with my friends and i and i was like hey remember we used to have a target right down the road and uh, we'd have to go into target and, you know, arrest shoplifters and all that other kind of stuff. Target came to that neighborhood to try to help the citizens of that community who were underserved, have a place to go buy some nice stuff. They had to leave 
because there was, for one, it just wasn't profitable. Um, there wasn't enough money in that neighborhood to keep the target running. And then two, they were losing more money to crop, like shoplifting and robberies in the parking lot and stuff than what they were actually making in the store. So it wasn't racism that made it happen. It was the neighborhood that drove the business away because of the activity. It wasn't the lack of a target that created the crime. It was the crime that made the target go away. And the same thing just happened. There's in the area that I, I live, there's a place called roosters that makes wings. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a Hooters, but they wear slightly more clothing. And, um, there was, a a wing place up here in a, on at an intersection in a neighborhood that is known for not being a good neighborhood. There was a homicide and a couple of shootings that happened within a, a short time span. I just saw in the news today that that, um, roosters is moving they're they're pulling out of the neighborhood it's not racism that did that it's the crime in the neighborhood that's pushing the businesses away no it's the cops the cops did all that yeah and it's the same thing it's like okay maybe let's just think for a moment that if there's a neighborhood where there's been multiple officer-involved shootings it wasn't the officers that caused that but that's not we're not allowed to think that way it's it's incredible it's incredibly backwards is ignorant it's foolish and um until these people figure out and that that's not the way to think um, it's, it's going to be a while before things change. So we'll see. I think it's on the way though. I really do. Here's what I think is going to happen. <laughs> I could be wrong. And this is just me being negative is every single year you're going to have something like Grand Rapids and e- everywhere around the country is going to have a knee jerk reaction. By the way, the, the folks in the countries in the small town, they're just going to do what they do. That's nothing is going to change for policing here. They might get body cameras or this and that, but they're still going to arrest people and people are going to want to live in those areas and people aren't going to want to commit crimes in that area because they're going to go to fucking jail. This story for another day. But as far as big cities and, and all that stuff like Grand Rapids will happen. And then there's going to be some knee jerk policy about like, hey, if you're alone and a guy fights, let go, let him run. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And then next year, something is going to happen and then everybody else is going to get blamed for it. You know, before people would make a mistake and there'd be like a policy adjustment at your department. Now what'll happen is guys will make a mistake or something will happen and it'll change policing in every single city. Even though you may have policy and training that already covers that, what that maybe prevents that. I think it's fine to learn from shit. I think it's fine to look at videos like that and say, okay, if that happens to me, which it could, we've all had interactions that start like that this is maybe some things I can think about like, all right, maybe I'm going to give this dude commands to sit on the curb or, or I'm going to do this or that, or I'm going to slow things down to whatever, whatever it could be. You could Monday morning quarterback that a million ways, but I just think every year there's going to be something. I think this is like the new normal. Is there going to be something every single year? Occasionally there'll be a really big thing. And then, you know, we're going to burn down some buildings and we're going to let more people in our community become murdered. I, the one thing I wanted to talk about with the grand Rapids thing, and we kind of jumped away from it. And, and I've brought this up in other podcasts is there's literally no conversation about that guy fighting with the cops. Yeah. Or who escalated that situation? Why aren't we talking? Cop. Why aren't we talking to our kids? Why aren't we talking about like, don't fight with the cops? Yeah. And that goes back to shit we've talked about before about, you know, putting on a show for the camera and shit like that. Yeah. But well, and, uh, and that was something that you kind of touched on and you, you kind of made a point without knowing it. Um, cause you said, Oh, it's kind of, the officer was kind of relaxed, kind of lackadaisical and walk up to the car 
because you're thinking, hey, grab him. You know, and I, I said it on the I, I'm trying not to cuss very much on this, but like I said it on my uh, my podcast. I was like, no, dude, you you get out of the car like that and you you don't respond to my commands like in three to five seconds. Your hands are going behind your back and you're getting in cuffs. I'm going to I'm going to act before you have time to think, you know, that's that's what we're trained to do because they're already down a path. This officer, he didn't do that. And I don't know why he didn't do that. Maybe he was trying to be a good guy. Maybe he's trying to be a nice guy because he or was maybe afraid. that's what his department wants. That's the thing. Or he believes that's what society wants of him because he's afraid to be a cop because there's a lot of people that are afraid to be cops right now. And I don't blame them. That's the thing. I'm not I'm not dogging this guy because I know what's going through his head. He doesn't want to be that. Unfortunately, it happened, but he was trying not to be the next Internet viral video using force on a black man outside of a traffic stop. Yep. So he was trying to be cool and guess who escalated that traffic stop it wasn't the officer the officer was doing everything he could to be nice to that guy and that's the part that gets me yes that that's honestly part of the reason i left is using force can sometimes prevent greater force and people (laughs) don't understand that don't understand that yeah well you you can't like you can't bring that up because They'll just circle the wagons around whatever, like, oh, well, you know, he, you know, we shouldn't be treating people. They'll just go off on their platitudes from cop block and they won't mm-hmm. actually look at that individual situation about what happened. Just like, oh, well, driving shouldn't mean you get murdered. Yeah. And they ignore from A to B or how you got there. Just driving shouldn't mean murdered. Okay. Yeah. Keep fucking talking like that. And this shit's going to keep happening. You know, mm-hmm. what's going to stop this shit when people learn how to act. Mm-hmm. But that's. It's- it takes two. Like you said it in two. one of your, I think it was your Facebook post. Um, you know, if he hadn't stepped out of the car and done all those things, he would be alive today. That's the yep. end. Yep. Like the officer did not make that traffic stop and approach that vehicle with the intent to kill that guy. It was his actions that brought that circum that end result. So it's weird how that works. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to talk to you about my buddy, Brad Williams over at police fit. You guys see him on the page every single Monday on Poorly Made Police Memes. Brad's going to help the new applicants and active officers smash their fitness and regain their health. Brad has 11 years experience in the fitness industry, 17 years in the military, and is also a first responder. He's going to share his experience and expertise to help applicants get their dream job and help active first responders regain their health. That's Police Fit, and I'll have a link for you on the podcast description. Back to the podcast. Yeah. All right, you ready to try another another caller? I'm so ready. All right, let's try this again. Ryan, are you here? Yes, I am. How you doing? Good, man. Ryan, welcome to the very poorly made sheepdog blue line advice call-in show. Is that what we yeah. named it? I don't remember. Yeah, good enough. Good enough. Close enough. Wh- what's your question for us, Ryan? So I just got transferred to the training division after 10 years at my agency, and I'm kind of wondering what you guys would have liked to see out of your respective training divisions. Uh, We've got a pretty good setup already, but I'm always looking to improve and looking outside of our agency and outside of our region for ideas can't be a bad thing. Ben, I'll let you start, buddy. (laughs) Why are you going to start with me? This is a hard one. That's what she said. Uh (laughs) Um, Well, are you doing like training as in continuing training or are you going to be doing recruit training? Uh, it's it's going to be both. 
Uh, so I am a training officer, and so I'll be supervising the training officer program, uh, both FTO and CTO, we're a sheriff's office, so uh, corrections training officer as well as field, and we both follow the San Jose model, uh, but also uh, continuing training. So it's you know our regular in-service, our firearms and defensive tactics, uh, our regular situational scenarios that we put together, things of that nature, CIT type stuff. Um, but we're, we're pretty active with it, so we do all of it, but there's only three of us. Oh, wow. That's a tough job. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot. <laughs> it's going to be Especially a lot for there's, all of that. Because like my department, we have um, recruit training and that's yeah. a that's a whole division. Um, then we have the FTO office. Then we have a separate office that just handles the officers who are off outside of field training, but on probation because they have yep. now they have an entire year of probation. So that's another I don't know six officers, something like that. Then we have the, um, I forget what they call it at my department. Shows how much I pay attention. Um, <laughs> it, the, whoever does our in-service, our annual in-service training, they're like a whole nother unit. So it, it's a lot more segmented. It's probably a little bit easier for them. I, I would imagine. Uh, we're, we're an agency of about 145 sworn total. So we're not huge, but okay. for, uh, for our region, um, we're, we're the largest in the area by, by a pretty good stretch. And uh, it's, I'm in Michigan to give you kind of a little bit of perspective. Oh, Hey, speaking of Michigan, sorry to cut in. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> We've been in the news. What's up. <laughs> we, we just actually went on a whole tirade about the grand rapids thing. What's, what's kind of the feeling with the cops up there? Is that going to be, is that, is he going to get charged or is he going to not? I, I hope not. Um, I don't think anybody that's been in the job, for a while could fault the shoot the way that it went down it's still not a good look especially in light of how things happened in atlanta the climate over in grand rapids fortunately uh within kent county itself is a little more conservative than the city of grand rapids proper uh, i think he'll likely avoid charges um i sure hope so uh, it's yeah, we. I, I don't. I don't know what else could have been done in that scenario, uh, aside from completely disengaging. And, and that's, you know, that's up to the individual officer. And if he didn't feel like he could do that safely, it's, it, there's just a lot of can of worms there um, in today's climate. But I, I'm most of us are supportive and hopeful that he'll come out of it all right. So, in being ignorant of Michigan law, from your standpoint, it appears that he was within the use of force and that kind of stuff loss. Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, he's, he's from, from my understanding, he had an X seven and I don't know. Mm -hmm. And this is, there's been, that's the one I, that I haven't seen the report. I don't know the if the second part, cartridge right? was deployed or not. Yeah. Um, if, if the second cartridge hadn't deployed and he's still actively engaged in a fight and a physical struggle for said taser. Uh, I mean, I can't fault him. I really can't. Uh, the guy has displayed a willingness to fight. Um, he's displayed a complete disregard for any command given and any control technique or tactic that the officer had applied hadn't worked. Um, if that second cartridge was still alive, I don't think there's a lot of question about it at that point. Um, if the second cartridge had been expended and he knew so, I can see where he might get into a, a bit more of a gray area legally depending on how that county prosecutor wants to handle things. Now, um, I 
I had the 26 about up until I left. So I don't have a whole experience with the seven. Can you do a dry stun with that? You can. Uh, you can. The seven can actually do a drive stun with one or both cartridges still intact, undeployed. Uh, you can. So the, the seven has two different cartridges. Uh, it's got one for a standard, more ranged deployment that you would normally see. There is also a second cartridge with a much wider probe spread uh, for a closer deployment uh, to help get around what we usually see with like deployments of, say, the 26, the 26P. I don't know which cartridge had been deployed or if they had both been deployed, but even if neither had been deployed, uh, a drive stun is still uh, something that you can affect with the X7. Okay, that answers that. All right, we went way off topic. So <laughs> Sure did, that's all right. Yeah, so Ben, did you come up with what you'd like to see? Man, it's it's just such a broad question. I'm so tell, uh, let's let's focus then on continuing training, okay? Yeah. Uh, continuing training, um, and, and we'll we'll lump that in with in service. Uh, mm -hmm. Continuing training, what is something that you wish your agency would have done or would do uh, to help improve uh, not just your skill, but your skill set, but the officer's skill set in general. Yeah. Do you guys do um, like defensive tactics in service separate from your kind of in class? Like, do you do two sessions or do you do it all in one time or something? Like no, that? We, we do multiple sessions. So our, our defensive tactics uh, is a full day. And the first morning is usually going to like the uh, probably the first three hours in the morning are generally uh, video and incident review, scenario, comments, critiques, um, and we tie that in with things that we want to implement and start training to and working on deploying. And then in the afternoon, it's all scenario based and it's, it's everything from CIT de-escalation uh, to um, red man scenarios, um, shoot, don't shoot any number of things. It's, we, we change it up quite a bit. So if you guys are doing red man and continuing it, it's fairly hardcore. It's yeah, it's uh, we're very fortunate. Our chief deputy is uh I don't want to dox myself too much, but yeah. the, the man's very DT oriented and minded uh, and all of us on the training <laughs> staff are DT instructors and we share a passion with that. Yeah. Uh, we see the value in it. So none of us have any qualms putting in the red man or putting on the red man and kind of getting into it. Um, cool for that. Most of our officers are receptive. Most. Yeah. Well, um, one thing that my department started doing a couple of years ago, which was uh, really beneficial in my opinion, just for the refresher, we do um, defensive tactics twice a year. Um, okay. So like one is like your new things. Like we laud, we learned the new building clearing techniques that is being taught nationwide now and all that. And we were fairly large. So we were able to secure a warehouse outside of town. It was good training. But right. um, the other session that we did, which maybe might be something for you guys to consider is we went, we did a whole day of back to basics. Um, where it was literally, we parked two cruisers and it was like, okay, this is a traffic stop. Do your approach, you know, and then, and then deal with it. So we pulled the guy out and searched him very basic level, almost like recruit training stuff. Just you because know, I don't, we hadn't had it for so long. I don't hate that because we actually just started doing, um, we have a grant uh, that gives us a, I'm not, I'm not going to say the name of the program because I want to completely yeah. give myself away. Um, but we've got a grant that allows for a multi-jurisdictional, uh, multi-county training consortium. And we've been doing a lot 
of more advanced things with mm-hmm. that. So that may, I hadn't thought about this, but that may allow us to do kind of more back to basics during the regular in-service. Yeah. And I, um, I think it's, and I hadn't thought about that, especially nowadays, because <clears throat> frankly, officers aren't out there pulling over cars like they used to, you oh, know, God, no. not doing these things. And my, my previous Sergeant, he would say things like, you know, we're not doing these things now, but we need to stay fresh on them because there's going to come a day when the climate's going to change and it's going to be demanded of us that we go out and we do these things. Yeah. So just, and hey, you know, I mean, I'm not the most seasoned guy in the world. I have a decade on oh, um, you and me both. So we're and, right there. Yeah. And I've been working, I work for a very large city and I've been working in the hood the entire time. So I deal with these, with danger regularly, you know, mm-hmm. um, I feel very comfortable in the environment that I work, but I really enjoyed the, the straight up back to basics with some training personnel that I, I trust and I respect. And, uh, just like it's, it was eye opening. So I, that would be one piece of advice that I would give to other departments. Well, I, I like that. And that's something that, like I said, especially with this new quarterly training consortium that we've got going, uh, that would allow us to really, I think better utilize our, our annual in-service time for that in-service session. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's actually a really phenomenal idea. I appreciate it. You are welcome, sir. Thanks for your service, Ben. <laughs> now, if, if I can butt into my own damn podcast here for a second. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you've got the right. I, I suppose my, <laughs> my basic advice would be no police one. Yep. At all ever. Fuck them. I mean, don't necessarily <laughs> fuck them. There's some good people over there, but so we use police ones uh, only for policy review. Um, that's the only thing we use police one for. I gotcha. My, my whole thing with in service, I felt like my in service was a few sprinklings of wisdom and then basically going through the motions. And that could have been a state mandated thing where they felt like they had to get so many hours, but it, it sounds like you guys are honestly ahead of the game. I, you know, we would do defensive tactics, but it was like testing out. So here, let's oh, do no. something you've never done in three years and test you out on it. And then we move to something else where I much would much rather prefer some realistic type scenario training. Like we had, um, you know, we never did Red Man after the Academy. We never did Sim Guns after the Academy. We never did, uh, you know, I think they had the big projector with the fucking the simulation. We never did that shit anymore. Uh, That's worthless anyway. It is. I mean, to a certain extent. Um, I I will say we did just get a new system that's miles ahead that may actually have some value. But I know the projector system you're talking about. Well, getting it to work is half the battle. Okay, and maybe that was the issue. I just I remember going through as a as a boot, thinking, "Oh, this is this is pretty cool." Um, And I don't know, but but again, that was a new guy ten years ago, so I don't know. It's cool for people that don't know Dick about police work. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. All I'm saying though is. There's no, there's no realism in in the police work. Right. And for as often as my, and I have, I've been thinking about this actually a lot is I shit on my department a lot, but hindsight being 2020, our training wasn't bad. I just, sometimes the presentation wasn't great. Like they would tell us this stuff in training, but you have to be able to connect with cops. And I think when you have people out as instructors that are like two-year cops, nobody's going to listen to them. Yeah, you have to be a respectable person on your department to be a trainer, and that's yeah. You're not gonna get you're not gonna hold the room if nobody trusts you. Yeah, so that's a big part of it too. So, 
Well, hey, buddy, I, I appreciate you being the uh, our was it, were you our first legit caller? Or it's been I don't even know what's happening right now. He's the ben. first one that worked. First one that works. So uh, you popped our cherry, buddy. Thank you very much. I'm glad I could be your first for both of you. Is this a magic pop? <laughs> that is. All right. All right. Weird. Well, thanks for your time, man. You be safe out there. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, have a good, good one. Man. See you guys. Ben, you ready for another another caller? <laughs> I am. Hopefully they're easier after that. Jeez. Yeah, that was a little tough. That was a good one. All right. Debbie does Dallas. Are you there? Yeah, what's up, man? What's up, man? Welcome to the very poorly made blue line cheap dog ask questions extravaganza. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. What what question you got for us? Um, so I was just curious. Like, I've been approached by a couple of guys at my department, and they've shared that they feel to use their terms, they feel um mistrusted by admin they don't feel like they they don't feel like admin trusts them and therefore they don't feel like they can appropriately do their jobs or adequately do their jobs and they cite all these various examples and some of them are valid and some of them are out of our control as admin and i was just curious as to what some other people out there in a situation that are younger administrators right so i've been in law enforcement a little over 14 years and i currently work at a 50 55 man uh department and I'm a division commander and there's two other division commanders. So I have two peers and then two people above me and a chief. And I just was curious as to what other people in my situation who are not terribly far removed from working the road, who still applaud good, solid police work and want people to go out there and be proactive. How do we solve that problem? How do we bridge that gap? How do we how do we help our our younger officers succeed and know that we're here to support them while also simultaneously trying to better the agency? And obviously everybody still has bosses, if that makes any sense. So you're a, I'm just trying to understand your rank structure. You're a commander who's under you. So I have, we have three divisions. We have patrol, CID and support services. Right. And then, so I have as a Lieutenant, I have a Sergeant and then like a couple of officers underneath me. And then so the CID lieutenant has a sergeant and about five or six detectives underneath him. And the patrol lieutenant has four sergeants, obviously, for the four shifts. And then, you know, 25 or 30 officers underneath the, underneath him total. And it's pretty much the patrol guys that don't feel like admin has their back. No, it's it's investigations, too. It's oh, kind of okay. it's kind of spread out and it varies on various topics. Like you'll hear him, you'll say oh, I feel like admin does a great job of X, right? And it could be something like, it could be something minor or it could be something great. But then for every one thing they feel like admin gets right, there's like this laundry list of shit that they're like, dude, y'all are, y'all, y'all are terrible at this. Or we feel we're mad about this or we're disgruntled about this and we just don't feel trusted by admin. Well, here's what I think. I think there's, and this actually brought, got brought up in a way early podcast. There's always going to be the mistrust. And I think as a young administrator, I think you just have to accept that. Am I off base with that, Ben? No, I I don't because, you know, you also realize as, as a leader and I, I talk to a lot of my chain of command and, you know, there's a lot of things that the, the rank and file are pissed off about and it's coming from the administrative staff, but it's not really coming from them or, you know, they didn't have a lot of choice in the matter, but people are still going to get pissed off and blame it on them. And the, to an extent, it's hard to avoid that kind of fratricide. 
I just was curious, like for, for every five things or, or 10 things that I can't fix, right? They're, they're totally out of my control. There's nothing I can do about it. Like guys are just going to have to suck it up. What are some things that I can control and that I can improve on to genuinely show that we do care and we are here? Because because all, on the whole, man, we work unlock, unlike a lot of my like colleagues, we work for a great town and a great department. But I'm just curious as to what like I and my peers can do to maybe like improve this the best we can. Well, here here's some suggestions that at least that I have is I think there is a di- always going to be that disconnect, like I was I was saying. But there are things you can do to improve it. And again, there's a trust factor too. Trust goes both ways. But if you can explain to the guys and gals like, "Hey, this sucks, but this is it. This is why we have to do it," and at least. I felt like in my agency, things were withheld. Like everything was a big fucking secret. You give right. us a badge and a gun, but you don't trust us with what what's going on. And I get there's also the argument like, well, it's it's really none of your business. So I, I think there's a give and take with that for sure. Um, honesty is the best policy and, and being fair too. Like if guys feel like, hey, somebody gets away with shit and then some guy, you know, gets railroaded. Right. The stories, the stories are going to go. So you have to be even keel with your punishments. I, I think are some big, big things, at least in my opinion. Uh, what do you got, Ben? It's, it's tough because my perspective is solely based on patrol. Um, and I work for a much bigger organization. Like my, the zone that I work on, the city I work in has five zones and my shift and my zone probably has more officers working at the same time than what your department has. Right. So it's hard for me to put some of those things in perspective because the it it doesn't scale properly. I mean, right, you guys are, I understand that. There's not a there's there's not a lot of um, space between you and the bottom guy. Um, you probably all work in the same building, right? For the most, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah um, and like at least from larger organizations, and I, I I work for one, and there's another one that we work very very closely with. Um, I've seen a variety of commanders go by in my organization it's officer sergeant lieutenant commander so commander is in charge of a whole zone there's only five in the city um well at least on patrol so it's he's got a very large span of control and it's hard for those commanders to um get their guys to trust them the thing that i found and when you hear about officers who will say good things about a commander it's the ones that um will actually come out and push a cruiser sometimes um come out like we i worked third shift for the better part of 10 years and we had a commander that wouldn't tell us he was coming out but he would come out and he would stop dirt bags and call it out as a stop right <laughs> you know he's like yeah this is commander so-and-so uh mark me out with the hooker she just pitched a knife on me i'm fine and we're <laughs> like what the fuck right. <laughs> you know like it's like lights and sirens getting to his location and he's like yeah the knife's over there it's fine and and he's calling out one day he call, he called me out i was there was a high prostitution area and uh it, you know it's hard to stop prostitutes it's hard to get the elements unless you're undercover so i would just make myself very visible at the hours in the morning before the end of the shift when i knew johns were coming in to pick up these girls and um i would just sit right on the corner where there's a bunch of girls and make them move one day over the air freaking commander calls out my car number and he's like hey car you know whatever um that 
maroon Honda Accord just picked up a girl three blocks away and he just passed you. You go stop that car. You know, that kind of stuff that shows that you're willing to literally get into the same shit that they're getting into. Right. That's probably the biggest thing that I've seen build trust in it. The support staff, it's probably a little bit harder, but the investigative section, 100%. Like if, uh, man, if I would see a commander or a deputy chief out on a regular old shooting scene, felonious assault scene, uh, serious DV, something like that, that would go a long way. And you don't even have to do anything. You have to you just have to be there and make it look like you're one of the guys for a minute. <laughs> so it's kind of like parenting, right? Like mere, your mere yeah. presence is more important than like it really is. Decisions you make. It, and it also it will it will remind you of what it was really like out there. Because even though you feel like you don't forget, you do. Right. You know, and like just the the smell of everything and the feel of the dirt under your feet. Um, being on that scene, you're not a action. baseball player. Listen, you are. You're not a shortstop. Hey, Ben, I'm being inspirational. Oh, I'm Ben. (laughs) Lenny, I'm being inspirational here. No, it it does. And the guys will see it and they'll, that you don't have to really do anything. They just have to see you doing what they do more often. And it only takes like, what, one or two days a month of doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, and I could appreciate that. I just, I just wish that there was a way that like we could, because so much goes on behind the scenes at an administrative level. And, mm-hmm. and I'm all about transparency because I'm one of those dudes that like, I don't have anything to hide and I don't feel like our command staff has anything to hide. Now there's some decisions that, you know, if we let the cat out of the bag, like immediately, like it would be, it would be a circus. And so there does have to be a little bit of discretion in how, in how we release and flow information. But for the most part, we don't have a problem with that, especially as a smaller agency. Like it's really not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's well, also let me, the fact that, it, sorry, Lenny, this no, is your podcast. It is my podcast. Fuck off. Um, I, I was going to add into that because I, I wanted to kind of qualify there. There has to be an understanding to the guys on the road that, you're not obligated to tell them shit. And there are like IAs and stuff like that. You shouldn't be telling them and, and things like that. I, so I don't want, you know, people to think, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a line level cop. I should get to know everything. You, you are a line level cop and you got to kind of stay in your lane. That's what kind of, that's why there's commanders. They have to deal with that type of shit, but there is some stuff that's like secret for no reason, I guess is what I was getting at. No, I get that. And some of the problems, I, this is a human nature thing. And I'm going to, I always do this to Lenny on his podcast to talk about the military. Thanks for your That's where the majority of my spirit, my experience came from. And it was like the military is 24 seven. So everything is amplified, you know? And when, when everything is going relatively well, like if you work in a community that supports the police and it's relatively low crime and you're able to do your job, human beings want something to bitch about and they want something to complain about. And they're going to focus on the easiest target. Um, the the department that I work for has gone through some very difficult times um, with the city administration. And what that has done is united the, the chain of command in a way that I've never seen before to the extent that when a deputy chief pulls up in my sublot, I used to put my head down and walk the other way. Now they're calling my name and they're like, Hey man, like, come over. I want to talk to you for a second. And they're genuinely talking to me because they, they feel segregated, segregated from the rank and file officers, but they're going through the same torture that we're going through and they don't have right. anyone to talk to. So they're like really opening up to us, which is pretty cool. 
So like, it's, it's, it's almost like a blessing and a curse. If you guys have it relatively good, they're going to get mad at you. Yeah. If they got someone else to be mad at. They're going to want to be your friend. Yeah. You know? And I guess like to, to, to kind of like put it all in perspective. So when I was a Sergeant, I was the CID, I was a patrol Sergeant here for five years and then I was moved to CID. So I was the detective Sergeant. And while I was the detective Sergeant, we switched to a new records management system and just like any software switchover, it's got its pros and its cons, right? Well, one of the biggest cons we had was this whole permissions thing. And line-level officers, including detectives, don't, didn't and don't have permission to go in and make edits to their cases, certain edits to their cases after the, the case has been approved, right? Which I think is total trash. You know, as a line level officer and as a sergeant, I'm like, these guys need to be able to go in and make changes to their stuff at any point they want to. If they can they just it. add a supplemental to it, though? Yeah, they can. But I'm talking about like changes to like, it, I know it really sounds stupid, but I promise you it's really kind of a bigger deal than I'm making it out to be. To oh, no. It, I, so, you know, some example, people might think it's boring. I think this is super interesting. So, right. So, let, let's say, for example, let's say, for example, in our records management system, you're a detective and you're logging in four or five pieces of evidence, right? and you fuck up and you misspell something or you enter in the wrong item or instead of apple iphone you put like samsung galaxy something stupid well once you've hit like enter and it's in there it's in there you can't go back and change it you can't go back and delete it you can't go back and do anything so now if you're on day shift you got to come to a lieutenant's office and say hey i need this evidence module changed if you're on night shift, you got to send an email to a commander who has to go in and do it. And like, then there has to be a supplement done and it's a shit show. And I hate okay, it. That I is hate, a mess. Yeah. I've hated it since I was a sergeant when I had to deal with it on a daily basis. And now as a commander, I hate it because I recognize that as a line level officer, this is bullshit. But at, least, have, you, at least you realize that there's a lot of people in administrative positions that they don't care. But whatever. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, but here's but this is this is the real this is the huge kick in the nuts, right? And this is why I sent in the question is because I spend the better part of like every other command staff meeting being that guy in the meeting, like, hey, when are we gonna fix this permission problem? And they're like, Hey, Dallas, will you shut up about the permission problem? And I'm like, No, y'all don't get it. This is a big deal to them. Like, <laughs> you know, if we if we could fix this one thing, like we could really like, you know this is a, this would be a big win for us. And they just, and they will, it, they won't budge. Like they won't budge. They think that like, if we give them permissions to do it, because our software package is one of those that if you give them permission to do this, then you also open up like 15 other permissions that they realistically don't need. And so that like everybody above me is like petrified that they're going to go in and do something dumb. <laughs> and because they're not adults being well, a police officer with a gun and a badge. Well, and that's everybody's argument. Right. Yeah. So, so now, you know, the kind of the backstory, well, I've got four or five detectives that walk around with this chip on their shoulder because they don't think that admin trust them. You mean waddle around with a chip on the tro- shoulder? Do what? Never mind. That was a fat joke. Go ahead though. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually I'm not that fat yet. I haven't lost. I haven't, um, no, I, I can't I can't make fun of anybody for being fat because I'm a big fat piece of shit. But you said the detectives are walking around and I said waddling around. Right. No, OK, I'm tracking. Um, so, that, you know, they're walking around with this ship on their shoulder and I feel rightfully so. But there's really nothing that I can do about it. And like it does me no good to sit there and tell them that I fought this battle like behind the scenes for two years, because whether they believe me or not, it's, it's perception. Right. So I know that I really can't win this. But I guess my question was and the reason why I messaged you to get on the podcast was like, this is an L for me, but what is something else that I could try to do to like make up that ground? 
pizza you go party on scenes. Do what? Do you respond to scenes? I can't. I mean, I can. It's not really something that's in my current like command line to do that because I'm the support services lieutenant. Oh, your support services. Stuff. That's do right. I, I get you. I never mind because you're you were talking about com- uh, detectives and it threw me off. Yeah, no. So like, yeah, like, so I'm over like our evidence clerk and like, you know, I manage our fleet and like I do our training and stuff like that. So really, that's where I that's where I keep my foot on the street is when I do our training and stuff and our scat and our firearms. Wait, now you manage the fleet. Do You guys all have Crown Vicks. God, I wish that would that would make some guys happy. Go get some Crown Vicks and they'll fucking love you for life. (laughs) True that. And pizza parties and pizza parties. Lots of pizza parties. (laughs) That's it. Um, lots of banners that say that we're here for you that helps out too um dude i to be honest with you man i based on the way you're talking or you're blowing complete smoke which i i've you know i was a cop long enough i i i'm thinking you're pretty good dude just keep fighting the good fight dude like just keep doing the good things that you're doing and guys will see it i mean the fact that they tell you about it probably is something too where there's a lot of guys that'll bitch about admin but will actually not say anything to them so the fact that they're saying shit to you means they probably trust you. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I, guess I agree. I didn't and, that way. and sometimes you're, it just sucks. You're in that one position. You're like, you're like the tambourine guy in the band that nobody, nobody gives a shit about, but you're it's there. important, man. Cow, they need more cowbell. They, they don't realize how important the cowbell and the tambourine are. Mm. Hopefully. It's, it's like a rug that brings the whole room together. Fortunately, I work for an agency that like like my position is not permanent. So like yeah. there could be one day where I'm over patrol or CID and get a real cop job back. So we'll see. No, that would be good for your mental health. <laughs> you ain't telling a lie. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, buddy, we appreciate you coming on the whatever we decided to name this podcast. So be yeah, safe man. out Thank there. You guys. Man. Thanks you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, Thanks no for problem, the question. Bud. All right, later. Take care. All right, Ben, you ready for call number three? Let's go. It's going fairly well. It's, it's not what I expected. It's really fun. My hope, though, is is if this goes well, that this can be a thing in the future, too, where people hear it and they're like, oh, I want to be on this. Yeah, it might be like a snowball. Yeah. Snowball. Not the kind that swingers do. <laughs> God, that episode's so great. I'm glad <clears throat> I didn't bring up snowballs, though. <laughs> Rob, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can, man. Welcome to the uh, Blue Lion Sheepdog Spectacular. How are you, hey, buddy? I appreciate that. Sorry, I also have a little bit of connectivity issue there for a second. That's right, so been a, are we. Yeah, that's been a story here. What, what's your question for us, Rob? So I'm curious. Um, as in the pretext of, you know, you're a young officer, you're going into the cabin, you know, this is the live work you're going to. If you could go back in time and sit in front of yourself and have a conversation, you know, what would that conversation look like? What would you tell that your younger self? Hey, you're going into this, you know, watch out for this. Or what would you what kind of questions would you pose or what kind of things would you tell your younger self? Now, let me ask some questions. Cause I need to know some of the rules about this. Do you know everything that's happened? Like everything that's happened. Do you know all that sitting down? Yes. Yeah, so you're, you're an experienced officer. You're seeing yourself, you know, as a younger person going into the academy, you have all this life experience. You have all this knowledge, all these things you've gone into all these, you know, things you've learned. What, what kind of conversation are you going to have with yourself? Well, the salty side of me says, don't work for this agency. Leave as soon as you can. <laughs> um, but the second part of that, to, just to be fair about it, and I got to kind of turn my cop brain on here a little bit, is to slow the fuck down. 
when you're on calls to take everything seriously. Cause, cause sometimes you go, like you like to call them runs. It drives me nuts when you call them runs, Ben, but right. when you go on calls or runs, especially if you work in a big city, things just kind of start to melt together because you're going call to call to call to call. And just to slow things down each call you go to and make sure you're handling everything with the care that it needs, because man, some little fuck up you make on some call could blow up and, and be a bad thing for somebody else down the line. You know, maybe you blew something off that you could have taken care of things like that. I mean, there's, there's so much advice I think you could give yourself after, you know, even a couple of years, like, Hey, I, you know, I learned a lot from doing this and X, Y, Z, but I think for me, the biggest thing is to slow things down and to be safe as safe as possible. Cause your, your safety is paramount. Don't cut corners when it comes to your safety. What do you, what do you have for that, Ben? As far as, it's like a an officer that's going into the academy or myself going into the academy, learning from what I know now. Um, I would probably be I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. My biggest piece of advice would be don't be afraid to lean on the senior officers and think that you have to do everything on your own before you're ready. Because that was like, that was a big thing coming out. You want to, you want to prove to everybody that you're one of the guys that you can do the job and you don't realize that they're, they're looking at you and they know full well that you don't know a goddamn thing. And they're, they're following you around waiting for you to mess up so that they can help rescue you. Um, when I realized that I kind of, you know, went under their wing, like willingly, uh, because there's this like, uh, you know, most cops have that alpha personality where they want to prove to everybody that they can do everything on their own, that they're the man, they know what they're doing. Um, it's really hard, not really hard, but it's just, it takes a little bit of learning to kind of humble yourself and just say, Hey, I'm going to follow that guy and I'm going to do what he does. Um, and you don't have to step up necessarily and prove yourself that you can handle like these big deal calls that you've never even experienced with. And everybody knows full well that you can't handle on your own. It, it took me a while to learn how to do that. And when I did, that's when I really learned how to be a cop. That's awesome. That's, that's really, it's not the answer I was expecting, but it definitely shows that you've learned a lot. It definitely kind of opens up your perspective and eyes on what you've actually learned. And that's, that's really humbling to hear that. Are you a cop or have cop family or anything like that? Uh, my grandfather was a DC police officer uh, during the 80s and 90s. Um, I've done security on Brinks. I've done security for federal contracts, uh, local contracts. I, I'm now a shift supervisor at 511 just because I got a little burnt out from that side. But mm -hmm. uh, going going forward, the goal is to get either back into the federal side, the private side, or go full federal police officer and just, and do that. Cause having had so many conversations being a five eleven person and been on some of those federal contracts and talking to the local guys, it, it just seems like they're all saying, just go the federal way. You might as well. Well, as a, as a person that doesn't understand when you said five eleven, I thought you were talking about like the clothing brand. Is that? Yes, I, I am. Oh, okay. So you're working. So you're working. Okay. I, I thought 511 was some like weird code for something. 
My bad. No, 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 no. I can understand why that. No, but I do work for the clothing brand company uh, currently. But I was, like I said, I was doing security before. Uh, I had a near-death experience when I was working for the armored car company that kind of prompted me to get out and find something else, which is where how I came across 511. Yeah, I gotcha. Well, and officers kind of do that too, especially if you have the benefit of working for a large agency. Something bad happens, you get to kind of rotate off the street for a little bit. So you didn't have that opportunity, but you just kind of went someplace, which is good for your, your own health and safety. Yeah. And yeah. there are some benefits, I think on the federal side, you know, you get pension and all kinds of good stuff there. So there are, there are some good gigs to be had for the, on the fed yeah. side for sure. So let me expand for a moment. Cause I, I wanted to know his background so I could for best answer the question or at least explain what I was saying before. Sure. Um, Cause it, it's funny. And Lenny, you can probably attest to this when you've been on the street for a while, especially if you've been in some of these really nasty areas, you, you really, um, you really learn how people act and react and you not only the danger cues, but just some of the stuff that is hilarious that, you know, a brand new officer is going to throw them for a loop and they're going to be confused. So when, when we have guys on coaching, especially if we have like two cars on coaching at the same time or FTO, however you want to call it, and they go on a run together and I'm like one of the backup officers. It's hilarious because if it's not dangerous, we'll just stand in the background and kind of giggle while these guys like bumble fuck around and try to figure it out. And they're, they're so stressed out because they're trying so hard and it's, it's their job on coaching. You don't get a lot of help when you're on coaching. You have to prove to us that you know how to do it. But when they get off coaching and they're on probation, they're still in that mindset. A lot of times I need to show up and I need to handle the run and uh, we'll sit and I'll sit and I'll watch a new officer struggle for like 10, 15 minutes talking to some crackhead, you know, trying to convince him to do something. And he's thinking that he's going to use his authority to get them to do it, whatever. And then I'll finally step in and kind of take care of it for him. And then look back and be like, do you see how that worked? Um, and that, that's kind of my perspective on it. Cause it's, it's almost like they're little toddlers, even though they're grown men and women. Um, there it's such a foreign world that it is almost like you're a child again, when you, when you come out of the Academy and it's, it's hard for people to realize that because they're not kids. They're, they're adults with a lot of world experience, but at the same time, this is a whole new world. You know what I mean? So that, that's kind of why I had that perspective. So I'm curious then, is it, do you find it's more the younger officers or potentially the older officers who joined a department that you have to coach more? It, everybody's different. Um, I've seen the same same act or same actions from young officers and old officers alike, because some of the older people who go to the academy later in life, they're so set in their ways that when they have to adapt to new things, it's really hard for them because they want to keep doing it the way they did. Um, and then the younger people, they just have no life experience. So they get really confused as well. Um, and then there's like those people that are kind of in the, in the, in the middle, a lot of military veterans with like combat experience tend to be, tend to adapt a little bit more quickly, but they're kind of outliers. Gotcha. All right. Well, Rob, thanks for uh, your question, man. I appreciate you. And uh, good luck in your future, figuring out what you want to do. Yeah. Good hey, luck, thanks, man. You. I appreciate that. Y'all take it easy. Stay safe. Later. All right, Ben. So I don't have another caller lined up right now. We'll see how the evening progresses. I do have a shitload of questions that came in over the last couple of days. If you want to try and hammer those. Yeah, let's go for it. 
somebody wanted to talk a, a little bit about reform and we referenced it earlier, but the question was, is were you, I, and I'll just ask you because nobody cares about me. Were you a proactive type guy in your younger years, as far as bumping people up and, you know, a lot of traffic stops and things like that? I mean, yeah. or did you even have time for that? Um, well, depending on the night, there were, there were nights when I tried to get my combined runs between traffic stops and dispatch runs to 20 a night. And that's, you're pulling over a lot of cars to make that happen. Okay. So, yeah. Up until Ferguson and like everything that came from Ferguson, like there was a dramatic drop off that happened after Ferguson. So the, the next part of that question was, did you remain active as far as stopping cars and doing stuff like that or no? Nope. <laughs> question over never mind because the question is was how your department supported it which i presume they probably wouldn't yeah well my department not just the, the department but the city attorney's office um they came down with an order that we were not allowed to even write a summons with an, a, an order to appear in court for anything that was not a violent crime like domestic so, violence yeah that's well, not violent uh, yeah <laughs> yeah like domestic violence even though it has violence in the in the name um but yeah like your trespassings i i don't know there's thousands of non-violent misdemeanors um we were not even allowed to write those those citations we had to take a report um complete basically an arrest narrative, but forward it to the prosecutor's office and request that they file the charge similar to like, if I don't know how it worked where you came from, but we can do, we can um, request an indictment on somebody rather than just filing the federal, the felony charge. Um, that's, you know, if you catch somebody with a gun, they're getting the charge. If you catch somebody with a gun near them, you're pretty sure they had it on them. You're going to submit it for DNA and you're going to check them for GSR and stuff like that, that goes to the grand jury. You know, you know what I mean? Um, we didn't we actually asked, use grand juries a whole lot. I wonder if that's an East coast thing. I don't know. We grand jury a lot. Um, but we were basically doing something similar with misdemeanors, which was hilarious. And then there was so much blowback from the rank and file and from the community because the media picked up on the story and the citizens were freaking livid that police officers weren't allowed to arrest people because <laughs> um, they're the ones calling in. You know, these people are tired of homeless people waking up and finding a homeless crackhead on their front porch. They want that person arrested for trespassing. We're not even allowed to issue them a citation. Um, so that got changed to a, a supervisor had to approve. We could write a citation if a supervisor approved it. Then what happened was the supervisor's who have no trust for the administration would say, no, I'm not putting my name on that because they don't want us doing it. That's why they're putting the onus on me. So I'm not putting my signature on your citation. So officers were still not allowed to even write citations for crack pipes, needles, drug paraphernalia, um, you know, sleeping on the sidewalk, all these things we weren't even allowed to do. So not only did proactivity kind of stopped because officers were afraid of maybe getting hemmed up or something. It was basically ordered that you were not allowed to do any of this kind of stuff. Like what, what is the freaking point of 
even talking to these people. So that's that's kind of where things went. And I, I got to be honest with you, and, and I know the answer to it, but it's why? Why? Like, I would just be I'm done. And that's kind of what I did. I, I'm done. Yeah, this is stupid. I'm done. And, you know, but there's funny. obviously like you can't, you know, and it always this is totally unrelated, but it would always fucking drive me nuts. And it still drives me nuts where people are like, we'll just move. Just go somewhere else. Yeah. F- fuck off. That's not that easy. Okay. No, it's it, not. It's not. Oh, well, just just move. It's not a big deal. No. Like, look, if you can and you have the ability, yeah, go ahead. But if you're, you know, you're close to retirement or your whole family's wherever and you're, you have a good living environment, there's yeah. other things to take into consideration, which there's guys that don't. Just, just fucking move. Fuck off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If, but if you have the ability, I, I would encourage it. Now, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. This guy writes in, I've been in for three years now. I don't know why, but domestics are some of my favorite calls. Had a pretty gnarly one the other night, but it ended peacefully. I almost shot the suspect. I get more stressed out writing a fucking fraud report than going on calls like that. Am I fucked up or a lot of cops the same way? I would say if there were calls pending as far as like a fraud or a domestic, I would almost lean towards the domestic because I think human beings, you you go with what you're comfortable with, right? I think, you know, you don't do frauds a whole lot. Maybe some places you do, but I... That's I don't know. Fraud sucks. I'm just going to go with what I know, even though I don't really want to go to the domestic either. I never like really like going to them. But does that make I mean, that's the way I kind of looked at it is like, uh, I know how to handle a domestic. So I'm going to go to that. No, it does. And and I think sometimes I think sometimes the more serious the uh, the call you're responding on, the more it's kind of like step by step by step in your brain. You, you're like, OK, first step, second step, like. I'm going to be in, I'm going to be in control of this situation. I'm going to take control of this situation. You feel like you're the driver in that situation. So it might make you more comfortable as a police officer where when you're going on hell, a fraud report, or I got, I got flagged down today by a guy who runs a, uh, a fenced in parking location for semi truck drivers to sleep. And and they and sometimes they'll park their trucks there for days and like go out in town, whatever the hell it is they do. The guy who runs the place pulls up to me today and he told me that they had like damn near 30 catalytic converters stolen overnight a couple nights ago. And he was like, What should I do? And like call the next of, shift. <laughs> well, I, I was I was terrified. And you know what I talk about being terrified? 30 catalytic converters, and one of them. It was a, a car hauler. So it was like, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 cars, however one of these semis can carry brand new from the factory cars. And every single one of them had the Cadillac converter cut off. Yeah. Send me on a DV. I'll do that. And I ended up telling him, I was like, well, time is your friend here. Go back, get the VINs and all the information for report, then call an officer. <laughs> we'll, we'll come you out. Fucking asshole. Well, dude, I was, it would have taken me all day. I would have had to walk through this lot. It's like a, it's like a square mile. The blue the, falcon soars high over a certain city in Ohio. <laughs> That's awesome. I would have done uh, the same thing. I'm just saying. Well, I, I told him that he was very happy with my response. So he went back and he started making the log. And then we can come by, get his name information and take that log and just go back to the sub and knock out the report. It's not a big deal. But you got to think some of that stuff ahead, man. Like this is 10 years of experience talking. Oh, no, I would have done the exact same thing. Yeah. But you know that when you were a brand new boot, you, you would have been like, 
all right, radio, mark me out at this street with 30 catalytic converter thefts. <laughs> and yep. And you probably would have asked for a new instant number for each one or whatever you call them and where you live. And it would have taken you a freaking week. But no, when you got a little experience on your side, you tell them to go write everything down and call back. And hopefully someone, someone else will get dispatched on that call. Yeah. But yeah, I, I can understand DVs. You're kind of the driving force in those. You, you try to be so you'd want to be in control and it's more comfortable. Well, and you didn't get into police work to take frauds. You know, you didn't yeah. get into police work to, you know, make copies of checks of the put in shit into evidence and do all kinds of boring shit. You, you got into police work to help people in theory. Mm -hmm. And so that's why like the DV, that's a, a more pressing type thing. Like, I think all of us, you know, you get dispatched to a fraud and they're usually honestly not even that bad, but yeah. you, Oh God, the paperwork the and the, uh, yeah. the evidence. And it's just a pain in the ass. It's not, it's not fun by any means. Well, and the other side of like a DV, and this is something that, non-cops don't understand but when i say it was a good dv you know what i'm talking about when it's a good dv right oh yeah yeah it was like you got a real victim and you got Legit a real dv it's not like the people that beat the fuck out of each other every yeah. night it's it's not two drunks that got mad and put cigarettes out on each other this is <laughs> this is oddly real... specific <laughs> but we've all been to that call <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to use the word crackhead less um but yeah, you know, you get there and there's often it's a woman that's the victim and she's got people a, experiencing crack. <laughs> yes. Um, she's got a, a serious injury and she went through something very traumatic. Um, you want to help that person and it makes you feel good to take care of them because they're they're feeling vulnerable, they're terrified, and you're there, they now feel safe and they feel comfortable, and it makes you feel good as a police officer. So no, it's it's not weird to prefer to go on those runs. I can tell you the, the DVs, especially like a good one, it is rewarding to you do feel good if you get that guy in jail. Yeah. Like, look, as a man, you shouldn't ever fucking put your hands on a woman, right? Ever. No. Ever. And and I think that's basic. Like, that's the thing every guy says, like, I'd never hit a woman. God, there's a load of dudes that do. Yeah. And there are, you know, chicks hit guys too. Like I'm taking plenty of chicks on DVs, but when you help somebody out like that, it just feels so good. I will tell you though, it always burns you when you go to court and, uh, and there's obviously reasons why stories change and things come up. But I mean, I had one where it was so fucked up and, you know, she goes to court and recants a bunch of stuff. And I'm just like, ah, this guy is going to kill you. Mm -hmm. You know, you can only lead a horse to water, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's also why you remember the ones that, that actually follow through on everything. Like that's how mine is. I've, there's a woman on my precinct that has followed through man to the end. And this dude is putting her through hell in the court system. And everybody on the precinct knows her name, knows her address, knows the guy's name. And when that address pops up, everybody goes immediately because she's doing the right thing. We want to support her. Yeah. Yep. You have those too, for sure. Yeah. Um, this is a really good question that I'm surprised hasn't come up on the podcast before, but the question is, is what is the best thing about police culture? I've had some time to think about it, so I can go first if you want. Go for it. When I look back on my policing career, and hopefully I, I get to do it again, the thing that I miss the most is the bullshitting after the call. 
not the complaining after the call. Like I always hated there were certain people you went on a call with and after the call, it was just going to be a bitch fest about admin. Like we get it. I hate them too. I, I, I don't want to listen to that every single call, but when you had a good group of coworkers and you're bullshitting after a call and you're cracking jokes about something somebody said or somebody did the camaraderie there, there's, it's like being on in a band or, or being on a sports team. You just, to me, you can't, you can't beat that. I, that, that would be my answer to that. No, I, I think my answer is pretty much the same. Um, maybe not like the, after the call, cause I, I'm a weird dude, man. Um, no fucking shit. <laughs> like, uh, believe it or not, I'm not very social. Um, I don't like to stand around and talk especially after calls. I like to like to complete the call, get in my car, get the F out. And I feel, well, I had a reputation for being rude for a little while because I did that so much and I didn't stand around. There was a group of guys that were like 10 years younger than me and they got so offended when I didn't stand around and bullshit with them. Um, there was other reasons. There were generational reasons there, but um, okay. Boomer. Yeah, I know. I know, but it is, there is a camaraderie amongst police officers that, I don't know if there's very many professions that have it. And for me, it's not right after the call, although those do happen. Like I had one yesterday where they had to call in a, a neighboring precinct to come because we were all tied up. And it was like a, a call that came in as a suicide attempt or something. And I knew that it, it wasn't really because I, I know the people. Um, so I was tied up on an injury accident. I got on the air and I said, Hey, just to let you know that address, here's what we normally experience there. And then I was able to clear up and I met them there and I kind of helped out. Oh, I helped out a lot with the run. And afterwards they were like, Oh, it seems like you'd been there before. And we kind of talked for a little bit and it's not people that I generally get to talk to. Um, and the one guy I didn't even know, I, don't, I still don't know his name. Um, but it was really, it, it was kind of cool, you know, cause we're all in the same boat. We're all experiencing the same things. Um, yeah. I enjoy that. That was a very awkward answer, but I know exactly. It, it is. I'm awkward. I just wish you weren't so it. fucking awkward, bud. Um, <laughs> so this question got asked a couple times, and we'll just we'll just hit it real quick and we'll move on. I, I don't even know if I've asked you this before, but do you watch Letter Kenny or no? Only snippets. Okay. So then I won't ask you the next question. I'll answer it. Like three people have asked if I've seen the trailer for Shorzy, which Shorzy is a character in Letter Kenny and it's a um a spin-off. I think it looks fucking hilarious. I cannot fucking wait. I, I hope it's ridiculous because I love it. I could eat Please it up all day. Please tell me how I can watch this show. What services do I need to go to? Oh, I don't fucking know. Well, how I, do you watch it? I, I believe it's going to be on Hulu. Okay, and if you're in Hulu. Canada, it's on Crave. Well, so. I, don't, I don't have either of those things. Well, then I guess you can't fucking watch it then. All right, I'm out. I'll just so I haven't watched Parks and Recs either. I need to start that show. Yeah, it's not bad. I've been okay. doing the typical millennial thing and rewatching The Office, and um, worth it. It's so good. I, it's and I haven't got really far because I like you know I get the baby. He doesn't. He wants to watch Spider Man. He doesn't want to watch The Office. So I, I generally there's like one day a week where I can get away with watching an episode or two. Mm -hmm. And uh, God, dude, do I hate what the hell is Pam's first boyfriend's name? Uh, I don't, I'm bad with names, but I know I can you know see how, his face. Oh, I hate that dude. I hate that beard. dude so much. Had a beard. Roy. 
Roy. Roy, yeah. Fuck Roy. I hate him so much. Um, Jim and Pam deserve to be together. But anyway, even though I know it's going to happen, it just it brings me joy. Anyway, uh, this is not something typically that I would broach you with, but since you know we're answering the people's questions, I'm curious where you would go with this. I know what I would say. Advice on getting dumped by your girlfriend. That's that's the entire question. That's it. What do you do? I have a very short answer. Go get a new one. There's like a million other people on the planet, dude. She yeah. she's not the one. Just move on. Who gives a fuck? That's amazing that we had a similar answer. Yeah, who who gives a fuck? And that's I'll tell you that is an answer with maturity and and I yeah. I've been married forever. So, you know, I I'm sitting up here in my ivory tower saying, "Oh, I'll just move on. It's not a big deal." Like, yeah. of course I, you know, if my wife left me, I'd be fucking destroyed. But especially well, in like a new relationship, yeah. Dude, there's that's so a wife, many other people on kids. the planet. Yeah. yeah. And you know what's funny? You've you've experienced this. I know you have. As a police officer, you have to go to people's houses and help them deal with things that you never thought you'd have to help another person deal with in your entire life. At least not somebody that somebody that's not a family member of yours. And the whole girlfriend dump me, I'm upset is something that comes up. And it's it's so funny because I'll, you know, this is where I put on my boomer pants and I'll like lean over to this. <laughs> it's usually this young kid, like 20 to 25 years old, maybe younger than 25. But, you know, there's a cutoff somewhere. And he's just like, oh, my life is over. She left me. I loved her. And we were together for a year and a half. And, and that's where I have to tell him, like, you know what, man? I've been in your shoes. Um, there was a girl that I thought I was in love with once that when we broke up, I, didn't, I wouldn't say that I was depressed, but I got physically sick. And that's I a real a, thing, too. Like, that's a yeah, real fucking thing. Yeah, it, dude, it happened to me. I was in high school. So, I mean, I was pretty young. But I mean, I got physically ill. Um, I I lost a ton of weight and it was like the summer I played football and it was going into my junior year. I went from 190 pounds to 175 pounds and I was an, I was an offensive lineman. Um, not cool, you know, and we went to the, the doctor to try to figure out what was going on. I thought I'd, I'd done some backpacking and I thought maybe I had a, uh, some parasite or something. Ran all these tests. He's like, no. He's like, um, you've been stressed out a little bit lately. And right that moment, I was like, son of a bitch. I was like, I was letting that girl get to me. And I got so stressed out that I lost weight and it was affecting me. And it, from that point on, I was like, I'm never going to let something like that affect me again. And now I'm fat. <laughs> you don't even know what fat is, man. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know the beginning of fat. I was looking yeah. at myself in the mirror today. I'm like, God. Well, here's what's more depressing is uh, this is a totally unrelated question, but so we have this the main family computer, and you know if people don't put the the chair away, the baby will climb up there, and he just fucked it up. So I spent like two hours today, like changing settings back and getting the fucking thing to work. It, I don't even know how the fucking baby figured all this shit out. Like I had to <laughs> Google shit to figure out how to fix it. Well, anyway, I I was kind of debating, you know putting some stuff on an external hard drive and I was going through some pictures and I came across some pictures from when I was in the Academy and I'm like, what happened? Like that was a person ago. Like I I'm an entire person now. Yeah. Don't get guys. I'm telling you right now, if you're like, you know, in your late twenties or whatever, it is incredibly easy to get fat. Like if, if you're listening to this podcast right now and, and eating a cheeseburger, fucking put it down. You don't need that cheeseburger. And eat it. Who gives a shit? You're going to die anyway. But just 
I'm just telling you guys, it's so easy to get fat. And it's so hard once you get a little bit older to lose it, man. But anyway, now I got a lot of fucking fun shit. Hopefully we got time to get through it all. How much longer do I have you for? Um, I can probably do another hour if I have to. Okay, I'll, we'll try and ram some of this stuff through. That's what she said. That is what she said. Uh, I was going to cut that out, but now I got to leave it. Elon buying shitter. What do you think about that? I think it's hilarious. Just for the reaction of people who overreact to things. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, I, that's basically where I'm at. I actually went and made a poorly made Twitter account, and then I thought about it. You know, I guess it's good to have just so nobody else makes it, but I got, I got so much other shit going on. But who knows, man? Maybe Twitter takes yeah. off, and maybe I, I start posting over there. I don't know. But so I think it's under poorly made police memes on Twitter. I, I couldn't have the whole name because it was too long, which pissed me off. So, yeah, um, yeah I think it's funny. Vehicle pursuits. This this could actually take some time to talk about because I, I have a lot of thoughts on that. They want to know why some agencies refuse to pursue criminals. Uh, let's take out the last couple of years of everything because there's a lot of places you can't do police work anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I think there has to be, and this is, God, I probably sound like an administrator now, but there has to be some common sense when it comes to pursuits. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm a firm believer in generally 90% of the time if they're running there's a reason occasionally you'll have that guy that just runs because he doesn't have a driver's license doesn't realize that nothing's really going to happen to him but for the most part the people running perfect example i've talked about a million times on podcasts is stolen cars mm-hmm. a crack rental they will pull over cuz they know they can get out of the charge they can beat the charge they know what to say they know what to do a we call that action- a rock for a ride <laughs> That's fucking amazing. I love that. <laughs> That's so good. Um, <laughs> a rock for a ride. Beautiful. That's way better than crack run. I'm going to have to tell my friends back home. But so you have the rock for the ride. They'll stop. The people we actually need to be stopping, they're not going to stop. And stolen cars are involved in all sorts of other crime. Tons of other crime. Did I say other once, right, during that? I don't know. I, I kind one was of okay. it out now. I get lots of messages now about like, man, I love your podcast, but learn how to talk. I'm sorry, guys. I'm- Dude, the funniest thing about your podcast is the way you say author. Author. I'm not your author. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, it's terrible. And it's, I consciously try to like fix it. And then I feel like I say it more. And it bothers up. you even more. It, I, oh, it's so bad. Yeah. Anyway, the joys of a podcast. But so I, I'm very cognizant that we should be going after those people. But you have to take into account the public safety aspect of it, too, even a little bit. Like, I'm all about common sense stuff, like middle of the night, open highway or not a whole lot of people out, depending on where you are. Fuck it. Go get them. Um, A school zone or, you know, a lot of pedestrians in the area and somebody's going 90 through there. Maybe you don't. I think there needs to be a common sense part about it that you can get away with a lot more in, you know, the country. Chase them and their wheels fall off. What are they, they're going to fucking run into a field for the most part. There is every time you chase somebody, no matter how safe the circumstances, there's always an element of danger to the public. That's you have to think about that. I, I'm not ignorant of that, but at the same time, they're running for a reason. So you have to balance those. What, what do you think about all that? No, I I'm a hundred percent on board. Like, Man, it's one of those things that as you get older, as you get further into your career, you're like, you know, some things aren't worth it. 
when you're brand new, you want to, you literally want to chase everything. And you think that there's, if you're told no, that's fucking bullshit. You know, they're stopping you from doing your job and you're a hero and all that kind of stuff. I, I get it. I remember I was there. Um, as you get older, you're like, it's, it's not worth it. Like that family that might get crushed, it's not worth it. Or the person crossing the street. Um, it's not, there's, there's certain things that no, it's just not worth it. And even your random stolen car, it's not worth it. Um, now where I get frustrated with the pursuit policy with stolen cars is that when we are pretty damn sure we know who's driving that stolen car. And it's the same person that's been driving the last five stolen cars that took off from us. That person needs to be caught. And I think that needs to be taken into consideration. And at least in the policy that I have to follow, it's not. Um, and that's incredibly frustrating. And I'm surprised you guys can chase it all. Uh, you know what's funny? Um, when I came on, we had just adopted this new pursuit policy and basically everybody was afraid to pursue anything, no matter what. And then as time went on, we got more clarifications. They, you know, they sent up to legal and we all got dialed in. You know how it is. You're like, you got to find that, that way in like court comes down with a decision. It changes up the way you do things. You got to find the way to get the same conviction without, with, you know, through a different process. Um, we got to where we actually got pretty good at it. And the supervisors got trained enough that they knew when to approve it and when not to. And um, we've been getting a lot more pursuits authorized and, you know, found clearly within policy here recently. So we can typically, I think you've said it before on the podcast, if you can shoot it, you can chase it. Um, it might be slightly more lenient than that, but that's about the case. But as long as you can articulate it, um, it's there. And I've been in a few. I was in one with um, one really good one where a dude um, killed his ex-wife at her place of employment. Um, and the it, it was like shift change. So everybody was coming out. They got a good look at him in his truck. I was responding to the scene and he drove right in front of me, uh, me and two other cars. And the, the chase was on. They ended up spiking him and he ended up shooting himself in the head. <laughs> And then have I told you this story yet? I think we, I think we actually talked about it on the podcast. Okay. Yeah. He's, you know, and then SWAT, I did cause SWAT was having a hard time breaking his window. And then when they did, he wasn't dead. They thought he was dead. It was, it was great. It's good fun. But now, but the other side of it too, when someone gets in behind something and you can tell that they're kind of chasing it and we're all trying to get there because you want to help your buddy. If that car stops or that car wrecks, you don't want your buddy to be there by themselves. Even if it wasn't a good pursuit you don't want them to be there by themselves. But when an, a supervisor gets on the air and says, Hey, cancel that. Everybody needs to turn, you know, change directions, whatever. There's a sense of relief on a lot of those too, because I'm like, man, it's, this is, this could be bad. And they're the supervisors by saying, don't pursue that are looking out for you as an officer. They're looking out for your career, looking out for your family, your house, your mortgage, you know all that stuff so yeah and i make a lot of memes about chasing cars when you shouldn't be and i i can't speak to if it still happens but i know it did and i wasn't that guy like i i think a lot of people may have this perception of me based on some of the memes i make which is i guess that's kind of fair but <laughs> I, 
I, I'm not that guy. Like I wasn't that guy where I get into dumb shit and I hated when I got dragged into even Roped being into something. Yeah. Somehow related to that shit mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't want anything to do with it as much as I d- maybe disagree with the policy. You can't be a cop and say, well, I, I want to catch people that break the law, but then you want to break your own policy on purpose. Yeah. We, we had, it, one, it doesn't work that way. We had one a couple of years ago. Our, our policy, our pursuit policy was so strict that basically the chief came down and said, look, our pursuit policy is strict, but our pit policy is not. You guys are all trained in pit. If you got a car that you're, that is beginning to take off, but they haven't reached a speed and you, there's a window of when you're trying to catch up to a car and, you know, there's that initial traffic stop phase before it turns into a pursuit. If you can pit that car, I want that car pitted you know, get it pitted, prevent a pursuit. That's what we were taught for years. That's awesome, well, then, by the way, because I've thought that for a long time, but that wasn't yeah. even on the table. It was it was pit early and often. Like pit pit to prevent a pursuit. We want that. That's safe. You know, a, a, an effective pit is a safe maneuver. It doesn't damage either car in most cases, pit cars. Well, then there was some discussion <laughs> in the administration and then it became, well, you can't pit a car unless it would have been an authorized pursuit to begin with. And that, that was a hard pill to swallow because um, we were pitting a lot of cars and pitting is fun. It's awesome to watch. Um, so we had to remember that, you know, and I had a young officer on my zone, get in behind a car, light it up. Car wasn't stopping. It was like, I think it was an OVI, a, a drunk driver type of speculation. Um, he's behind it. He's airing everything perfectly. Um, he's like, you know, I'm I'm behind it. We're doing 35 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. We're heading westbound. It was like 30 seconds, 45 seconds in. He goes, I'm going to pit it. We were all getting in behind him. I watched him pit this car. It was a Ford Mustang. (laughs) He pitted it and we're all like, what the fuck? Like you can't pit this car. And, uh, he pitted it and there wasn't anyone close enough to the officer to seal the deal. Do you remember seal the deal on a pit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For the people that don't know the next car, the first car pits drives through the pit. The second car, the car that got pitted should be facing the wrong way in traffic. You come up, put your bumper on that car. And then the guy that did the initial pit kind of does a, a loop comes back and you, you bracket that car in so they can't move you know well, what nobody... i didn't like about that is you were automatically in a crossfire if things went south I, that was the one thing i always it's, hated about that it is what it is you know um shouldn't be pitting cars that are likely to shoot at you that's the that's the training answer well but, it, um, it, that is a training answer but you don't know they're going to shoot at you until they shoot I, at you. that's very it's <laughs> very true but but when he pitted it nobody was in position to seal the deal so the mustang just turned himself around and started going again and we we literally he aired that he pitted it and it was not an effective pit before the supervisors could even get on the air and say everybody needs to terminate and get off there were cars turning left and right off of the main road like everyone was like i'm not getting drug into your shit show <laughs> um, it was i watched it happen <laughs> so yeah i don't know i went on a tangent there no it's, it's this is a good one do you have a good story about when you were pulled over as a civilian? Mm, I had a couple. Have you ever had one? Do you remember getting pulled over and having one that was like incredibly frustrating? 
I have a great story about being pulled over. I, it's frustrating for a reason that you wouldn't think. Yeah. Well, here, you know, I've got one and this is something that when people attack me on my YouTube channel, which is thoughts of a patrol officer, they not of a police officer, not of a police officer of a patrol officer. They come at me with these like attacks as if I'm doing these things. Cause they think that it, well, they've got a, they've got a guy, they're going to start hounding him and they'll be like, they'll, they'll, they'll go on this like seatbelt rage, you know, where they're like, Oh, you harass people about their seatbelts, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, bro, I have literally never written a single person for seatbelt. I've given some, I gave a kid a warning in the back seat for not wearing a seatbelt properly one time. And that landed me in internal affairs because his dad didn't like the way I warned him about his seatbelt, but it's a story for another day. Um, but yeah, I, I think I was, I was like 18 or 19 years old. I had come home from basic training. I was working at an Applebee's and I still lived with my, in my parents' house at the time. So I drove country roads from one town back to the other town where I lived. Cause I grew up in a small town and, uh, it was like two in the morning because Applebee's was open late. So I was driving down this country road, probably doing 75 and like a 55 in my, my 1995 strawberry red four-door Dodge Neon. And uh, <laughs> ah, he had a girl's car. What a bitch. Well, I, you know, <laughs> I worked at the dealership when I bought it and I told him, hey, I want a five-speed Neon because that's going to be the cheapest thing I can get. So they ordered it sight unseen and it was strawberry red. But regardless, so I'm driving down the road and uh, I see these two deputies in a church parking lot in this country road and they're doing the cruiser 69. They're sitting there and I knew I was doing 20 over the speed limit. So as soon as I drove by, I saw their brake lights light up. I knew they were putting the car in drive and they were coming after me before they even got onto the road. I was pulled off to the side of the road. I was off the side of the road opened my glove box, had my license, registration, proof of insurance in my hand with the window down, sitting there waiting for the officer to come up and talk to me. Um, it was a deputy. So the since there were two deputies, female deputy went to my passenger side, male deputy came to my driver's side. And I was like, here you go, sir. I've got everything. Sorry, I, I know I was speeding. He started going apeshit on me about a seatbelt. And I was like, dude, I was wearing my seatbelt. I promise my car has an alarm. If you don't wear your seatbelt, it's really annoying. I was wearing it. Well, when I pulled up behind you, I could see that you didn't have the seatbelt over your shoulder. It's like, yeah, it's because I was pulled over before you got here. And I had to take my seatbelt off to get my glove box. And I, here's the glove box is open. Here's all my paperwork. He rode my ass. It seemed like 10 minutes beating me up about a seatbelt for God knows why. And then they finally just wrote me a speeding ticket, which I just paid. But I was so frustrated with that encounter. And I still don't know why they're so upset about not being able to write me for seatbelt. I don't know. I'm so, yeah. maybe I could be totally off base with this, but I feel like 90s cop really was about seatbelts. Well, I think part and this is also I'm being generous. Part of it might have been the fact that it was it was somewhere around two in the morning. I was driving on a country road at a high rate of speed. Two in the morning is like drunk driver time. Um, there's always that chance that they were trying to talk to me to get me talking more so that they could maybe smell alcohol in my breath, maybe get me to slur my speech, maybe get some indicators that I was a drunk driver. 
that's the only Maybe. reason I can think that they were beating me up like that. But I was incredibly calm. I was like, man, I was like, you know what? If you want to write me for seatbelt, write me for fucking seatbelt. I don't care. And I think because I didn't get angry and explode on them, they ended up just writing me for the speed, which still sucked. But yeah. Yeah. I, I can't speak with any authority. And this is just pure speculation. But I just feel like I've had some conversations with old timers and they bring up seatbelt shit all the time. And like those guys would be the guys that would there were grants to do seatbelt enforcement. Nobody fucking did it. Oh, I believe that. So I, I feel like there must have been a big push in the 90s, late 90s for seatbelt stuff. Mm. I, I could be off base. This is just purely speculation. Mm -hmm. But well, yours makes sense, too. I have a good traffic story, though, if you're. I had another seatbelt thought that just popped in my head. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, I've heard that a lot of troopers in Ohio will write you for speeding and for seatbelt no matter what. Because uh, speeding is points. A seatbelt is no points. So people will go into court and they'll drop the speeding and they'll plead guilty to the seatbelt. And for some reason, it makes the troopers happy <laughs> because they still get a conviction on their ticket. That's a rumor that I've heard. I need to actually ask a trooper about that. one. I Ohio I troopers. A, yeah. We need to know. I'll, I'll ask. I'll, I run into them occasionally. Um, I'll ask one soon. Well, and that's, I mean, I guess in a way that's given people a favor. I don't know. I, I didn't really think too much about, especially a traffic ticket. And I, I never was big on speed or seatbelts. Like if, if you had a kid that wasn't in a car seat, I'm, I'm writing you a ticket hundred percent of the time, yeah. you know, kids on laps and shit like that. But other than that, other than that, <laughs> <laughs> okay, this, here's my story. And I was also young at the time. So I used to travel a good hour to play hockey when I was a teenager. I lived in a small town and we would travel to a bigger city to play hockey. Uh, I think it was on Monday nights because there was drop-in games. And I'm honestly surprised my parents let us do it because they were on school nights a lot of the time too. So we'd be coming home super late and we'd have to get up early in the morning for school because I think the drop-ins didn't start till like nine or 10 o'clock at night. And one of these games, one of these drop-in games, there were some guys on the bench that cracked open a beer and were drinking. You know, we were, you know, I was like 17 or something. We weren't drinking, but so we get stopped for speeding out in the middle of nowhere. And it's a deputy and he starts, you know, kind of doing this tirade. Oh, you guys are out drinking and doing, and we're like, no, man, we, we came back from hockey. And like, we, in fairness, we stunk. I would assume like sweat, maybe the beer from you know got spilled on our gear i don't know what but he was convinced that he smelled alcohol out of the car so we're 17 me and my buddy are 17 we're young kids we're out in the middle of nowhere and he suspects we are possibly drunk he comes back to our car two minutes later and goes you guys are lucky there's a call down the road a bar fight i've got to go and he throws the stuff in the car and he leaves and even at that moment, I thought to myself, which half of it was relief, like, oh, I don't got to worry. And I wasn't driving, so I wasn't worried about a DUI or anything. Half of me is like, oh, sweet, that's over. But then the other half of me is like, wait a second. You think you got two kids drunk in a car in the middle of nowhere that have an hour drive to go and you're going to let them go. Now, I get the bar fight. Maybe there's a safety issue there. But I mean, am I and I think about this out loud now. I don't know, man. I don't know that you 
you let two kids drive drunk if you suspect they're being drunk, like not even look into it. I don't I don't know. And again, this was such a short interaction. And it was at this point. Oh, God, I'm old. This was 20 years ago. Maybe there was more to it that, you know, I didn't realize was going on at the time. I, 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 what do you think? What would you do if you were in that scenario? As the cop or as the driver? As a cop. cop. And like he he said that he smelled alcohol on you guys. Like you're he confident. said he smelled alcohol on us. And he, but he didn't pull you out of the car at that time. He just said it. And then he went back to his cruiser. Yeah, he, he collected the information, said, I smell alcohol on here, went back to his his cruiser. Yeah. And then like 30 seconds later, he runs back up and throws the shit in the car and says, I got to go. There's a bar fight. Yeah, he might have been bluffing. You know, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell for sure. I've said that to people. Yeah. I. You know what? I never thought of that. But that makes sense at the time just to maybe see yeah. like what we were doing that late at night. Yeah. That could be it. I mean, I've even because I've never done it. There's a funny trooper story. I'll tell some other time. But I watched a troop. I was driving back to my precinct from a, a guard duty at a hospital and right in front of me was a trooper that I could tell was about to pull over a car. He was tail, tailing her hard. And um, that's what she said. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this I'm going to tell this story. I'm sorry. Um, it, he, he pulls over this car and I, I pull over with him. Cause I'm like, you know what? I'm going to back this guy up. He's on the freeway. It's three in the morning. Um, he doesn't need to be out here by himself. So I, I do the passenger side approach with him. I don't even say a word to him. He kind of gives me a nod like, hey, thanks for being here. I stood like 10, 15 feet away from the car. It was this beautiful college age girl. She was knockout. It was like a Saturday The trooper? Night. Or no, the, okay, the, sorry. the trooper was a dude. I'm sorry. I'm such a dig. I couldn't help it. Go on. <laughs> There's no college age troopers. Um, Why not? You can be 24 in college. I suppose. You'd be 21 in college. I know. Stop it. I'm You're sorry. I'm ruining your story. Go on. Um, so this girl was a knockout and he's in there. He's talking to her, talking to her, talking to her. I hear him say he smells alcohol in her breath. And I'm like, fuck. I'm like, I'm just trying to get back to my precinct. I haven't had my dinner yet. Let's go. So he, he pulls this girl out of the car and he's going to do SFSTs. And uh, she gets out. She's wearing like a tank top, spaghetti strap tank top this little flowy skirt thing and she's wearing heels and she's so polite pretty. <laughs> sorry it was it was hilarious i know it's it sounds bad the way i describe it because it's like i'm being a creeper but she was a beautiful young girl she was dressed very nicely and uh he takes her to the back of the car you know does the hgn and then runs her through the test i just stood off in the grass watching everything um, he, I don't think he had her do a PB. Oh no. He had her do a, a portable breath test as well. And, uh, it didn't come up to the prohibited level, but there was some alcohol there, but she freaking nailed the SFSTs. So he tells her, go ahead and sit in the car. He's going to write her a ticket. Um, I came over while he was working on the ticket. I leaned into his car and <laughs> I said, said, I'm so glad you didn't charge her with ovi after watching those sfsts and he's like yeah he's like i smelled a little bit of alcohol on her and there was some on the pbt but um i i didn't feel like you know there was it was there and i go i go yeah i go i have never seen anybody do that well on field sobriety tests and he looks at me with this big shit and grin he goes well i have a lot of experience i do a lot of ovis 
I was like, no, motherfucker. I was talking about the girl. <laughs> oh, fucking troopers. It was great. <laughs> he's like, he's like polishing his fucking hat. You know what I mean? <laughs> what, what was his reaction to that? He, he just kind of smiled and laughed. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. She did really good because she did it in heels. She did the fucking heel toe in one legged stand in fucking heels. That is impressive. That's really yeah. impressive. That's the whole reason I told about why she was dressed that way. I had to paint the picture. But yeah, he was like, I have a lot of experience. I do a lot of OVIs. I'm like, you fucking cocksucker. Yeah. (laughs) It was hilarious. Oh, that's a good time. All right. Ben, what's your favorite dinosaur? Triceratops. Really? What did I say on my podcast? I think I went with a T-Rex or Velociraptor, right? I don't know. I don't remember. Sober. I'm, I'm sober, not in Lincoln, Nebraska. I would... Triceratops is definitely a solid choice for sure. Thank you. Um, and Ankylosaurus is fucking dumb, but that's, I mean, a little kid picks it, so it's not a big deal. Um, not a question. I just want to thank Ben for his service. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of those. Okay. This is actually a legit question I have for you, and I've been meaning to ask the mustache. What do you do? Does mm. it just come in naturally like that, or do you do anything to it? Because it is glorious. No, I I was blessed genetically with a glorious mustache. <clears throat> and the funniest the funniest thing about my mustache is I started growing it in maybe 2013. Um remember when the like, mustache November became a thing? Yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah, our department had like a the, like a mustache contest. I was like, "You know what? Fuck it, I'm going to grow a mustache. I'd never had one before." And so I did. It turned out to be glorious. So I for and every year for November, I grew it out into a handlebar stash, which is technically against our directives, but they let it slide for one month out of the year. And and then when I shaved it off, I felt naked. I didn't feel like I was whole. So I had to grow it back. And now it's part of me. Yeah, it's it's a glorious mustache, man. I, no, I all I, I do is I'll- trim it. I can do a pretty, I have a pretty glorious trailer beard. You know, white trash jeans are very strong in me, but when I just go with a mustache, it's just bad. It's always bad, but I, I can pull off the beard. I think. Okay. So another thank you for your service. That's good. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, do you have a, they want funny stories from the Academy. I, I suppose that could probably go on and on, but do you have one that, really sticks out to you as far as something funny that happened in the academy or two one or two not really believe it or not and partly because the funny ones i have all involve my real name Mm. yeah i have a good one that involves my name so i'm gonna have to be careful with it yeah but no like really the the academy for me was just i was an old guy and i was in pain a lot from all the running and i was just trying to survive the academy like without getting injured the the stress part and all the other stuff that didn't bother me it was just i didn't want to get injured because i was old that was the only thing that i thought about the entire time in the academy well since you i mean those are valid things since you kind of fucked this one i i have i got three quick stories the first one i had a very nasty habit of answering rhetorical questions (laughs) because initially i didn't understand the game because i came from a totally different life like i wasn't in the military um i didn't get it so i you know they would answer a rhetorical question and i'd fucking raise my hand and it took about three or four times of us <laughs> getting our ass beat 
that I finally figured it out. And they were always dumb answers. Like it was nothing epic. Like I would just raise my hand and you know, funny. all that shit. Um, like what I, is wrong with you, Lenny? Do yeah. you eat your own boogers? You'd be like, <laughs> no, yes. sir, I don't eat boogers. They have protein, sir. <laughs> um, so I, I will just fucking admit I was a mess in the Academy, man. That was just not for me looking back on it. I wish I would have enjoyed myself a little bit more or a lot more, but it was, it was still a good time, but I was, I, I didn't, I wasn't ready for that, that type of life. I, I do. And it wasn't even that bad looking back on it, but I, I appreciate what it was. Cause I think it helped me become the cop. I was mm-hmm. the whole stress inoculation thing is a real deal. Now, there was a time where we were in formation and I, I'd probably already answered a stupid rhetorical question. This was early in the Academy. And um, the instructor goes, Lenny. Yes, sir. How the fuck did you get to be such a fat bastard? And I'll be honest at that point, I wasn't that fat. I was a little fat, mm-hmm. but I wasn't, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't the whale I am now. Like I, I trimmed down quite a bit to get into the Academy. I still had ways to go, but so that at the time really pissed me off. But hindsight being 2020, that was, fucking hilarious the third story doesn't involve me it actually involves that fucking video training that you don't like i thought ours was good i don't i don't know but so we're we're in this uh the simulator and it's like a i don't know it was a bar fight i think actually in the simulator me and my buddy go in and i I love this dude man i don't know where he is i haven't talked to him in years he didn't make it through fto but he was a fucking Mm. phenomenal dude he's a really good dude um (laughs) And he was my buddy. And and so, you know, we're, we're going through the scenario and uh, the scenario came to a point where like somebody I think was about to attack us with a bat or shoot us or, or whatever it was, it would have been a good shoot. So he shoots the person as he's supposed to, he hits the person, they fall down. And so we're just kind of standing there and the instructors are like, give them order. You know, what are you going to do now? Do something. And, you know, instead of like giving any type of orders, you go, sir, sir, are you okay? After he fucking blasted him, it's so fucking funny. So there's my good academy stories. So I, I think where we're going to end today is uh, I have one more young man that has that's going to come in and has a question for us. Are you ready? I'm ready. Alejandro, are you there, buddy? Yeah, I'm here. Welcome to Toyotathon. What's your question for us? So I've been a almost more than a year applying to different police departments, um, and it's really been hard. I live in South Florida. Um, most police departments are now requiring at least an associates or some sort of military um, service. Um, but the ones I have been able to apply to, they basically, I'm, I'm applying right now. I'm in the uh, application process for one of the largest sheriff's departments here in Florida. And it's been, like I said, a whole year. So my question is, what's the best route to take right now currently? Because I'm kind of, thinking of uh, reserves. So I was wondering if I should go reserves or start, um, continue my degree in college or just keep applying. How old are you? 23. Okay. Say reserves. You talking about military reserves or police reserves? Uh, Military reserves. Okay. What were you going to say, Lenny? Sorry. We're we're talking over each other here. We're really good at podcasting, buddy. Of Um, course. It's only poorly made, right? It's very poorly made. So I... It's very weird to hear that there's any college requirements. I guess Florida, because of Florida has been kind of presented as this place for cops. I know a lot of people have left, you know, cold states and moved to Florida. So 
everywhere else in this in the country is probably experiencing all these policing shortages but florida that's not the case it's still very competitive is that kind of what i'm getting from this uh pretty much and it's now you bring that up where i work everybody's like why how are you not a cop yet i mean i I, everybody thinks that as soon as you apply they're basically sending you off to academy and it seems like it's not the case right now well i and i can only speak from my experience but you know when i was applying for police jobs 10 years ago it was very, very, very competitive, and it took a long time to get hired. I mean, I, I, you know, applied a half dozen places before I found a home. And I think when I applied, I applied in April. No, 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 it was earlier than that. It was like February, and like testing was in like May, and then we didn't start till November. So it was, it was like ten months. It took a long time to get hired. So some of these places, man, that just kind of is what it is. I'll let you jump in, Ben. I, I have some thoughts, but what do you think about all this? Yeah, I I think what you're experiencing is what officers of my generation experienced, where they were applying to like multiple organizations, taking tests at multiple organizations, sometimes taking like a couple of years to get on um, because there used to be a large applicant pool to try to become police officers. I think the, the reason that you're experiencing it in Florida like he was saying, not only is Florida warm, but with the governor there and the way they're treating police officers in Florida versus the way police officers are being treated in other parts of the country, there's they're getting a lot of qualified lateral transfers. So that makes it harder for someone like you that doesn't have experience to try to get on. And I can understand why it might be taking longer. Um, but with your, your and and adding that, associate's degree thing that's kind of odd normally the only places i've heard about where they put that kind of thing in are kind of like smaller um high income communities that are extremely selective with their officers um like i remember what is it ronnie coleman was a cop in arlington texas you had to have a four-year degree to be a, a cop there but i think it was a very affluent wealthy community um, so you, there's some of that, but with your age, you're still pretty young. Um, uh, if you can get an associate's degree and continue to earn a living at the same time, if being a police officer is something that you want, it's, it's not a bad idea just to make yourself a better candidate. And if you end up getting on somewhere before you finish your degree, <laughs> then just drop that shit and go to work, you know? Yeah. And they basically like, the good thing is a lot of apartments here have like tuition uh, reimbursement. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the best idea right now. It's just, I've never been great at school. Um, I mean, that's kind of why I want to be a cop, right? Like, uh, like, uh, <laughs> Larry, come on, Larry's, man, that's low hanging fruit. <laughs> like Larry said in the, in the past, uh, podcast, right. Um, or who was it that said that it wasn't great at math. So that's why I wanted to be a cop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought military, but I also kind of live with my family and, it's a difficult situation right now. So I really don't want to leave them hanging. Um, dude, I, dude, so. I think college is a, is a good route to go. It, and a lot of guys, and you'll hear it in one of my next podcasts that isn't out yet, put all their eggs in one basket. And then God forbid something happens. They don't have anything to fall back on. If I gave you any piece of advice and granted, I, I'm, I make a podcast in my basement. So you got to take that in consideration too. <laughs> go to college and, get a degree, not in criminal justice. You can have it, you know, for, or you can like have, minor. 
your mind. Yeah, you can have your minor in criminal justice or whatever and take some criminal justice classes. And somebody's made the point, which I think is hilarious, is a lot of the people teaching criminal justice majors have never been cops. So that that's something you got to think about too. But get you know, get a degree so you have something to fall back on. Like, look how many of us have side businesses too. So there's not like, and I'm, this comes from a guy that doesn't generally encourage a degree, but if it's something that's gonna, you're gonna need to be a cop and you wanna be a cop, then you don't really have a choice, right? You gotta go do it. But you may have to apply a couple times before you get hired. It, it just kind of is what it is, especially in, like Ben said, he said perfectly, there's a lot of very qualified people that go there. So you're kind of behind the eight ball and you said you don't want to move, but you know, you could move to a state that doesn't have a lot of cops, but that that's a problem too. I would just, my advice though, is when those job offers offers come be picky, but not too picky. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you might have to take something, you know, if, if that's the only thing you got, you may have to take something for a couple of years before you can lateral out and things like that. Obviously I wouldn't join a train wreck department because that's probably not worth it, but you know, the, the perfect agency may not be there immediately. You might have to put in a couple of years and then go like my agency, everybody wanted to work for my agency and guys said, Hey, I couldn't get hired there. And so, you know, I went and did a couple of years here and then I lateraled over. I, I heard that so many times in my Academy. I'm sure that's not the case now, but it used to be like that, which I'm sure Florida's experiencing some of that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much how it's going right now. Um, a lot of people are laddering over here and like, I think DeSantis is like a $10,000 signing bonus or like $5,000, something like that for Florida officers. So I have at least two close personal friends that lateral down to different departments in Florida. So it's happening. Um, and, and kind of to piggyback on what Lenny was saying about go, go to school, get an associate's degree, if that's going to help you, but I would get an associate's degree in something that you can that for one, that is a job that you would actually want to do if you don't become a police officer, but Probably two, dance something, therapy. what's that dance therapy or basket weaving? I would think those, those are definitely oh, high perfect. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, but something that you can stepping stone into the next, like if you, I, I know you said you're not really good at, at school. It's not really your thing. I understand that, but like, you know, if you can think of careers that you start with an associate's degree and then if you do well, you might want to go to your bachelor's and move on. Like I have a, one of my older brothers was a uh, college flunky. Um, you know, he, he went to college, drank too much, flunked out of college, had a job at like a printing press business that he hated and ended up getting himself a two-year nursing degree. Well, he used that to get himself a four-year nursing degree. He's now a, uh, has a master's degree and he's a nurse uh, anesthesiologist making like 300 and some thousand dollars a year and has an insane benefits package. He was someone that was not good in school, but he got his foot in the door and kind of climbed those ranks. And you, you might find that if, and if you get into something, it could even be, I don't know if they do a two-year associate's degree in welding or transportation, you know what I mean? But you might find something like that. You actually get into it and you're like, you know what? Screw that cop stuff. I'm going to keep improving myself here and go that route. Um, just to give yourself more options. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds pretty much because a lot of cops that I talked to, they just said, just get a degree in anything. Don't even do criminal justice. Like I know this one guy who has a degree in Spanish and he's a cop. Um, yeah. 
Criminal so. justice is the most worthless degree there is. Well, but well, dude, you, like okay. like Ben was saying though, you're gonna pay for it, man. You you might as well get it to something that could be relevant down the future for you. Yeah, that definitely helps. But in, in and then as far as military, if your goal is not to be a member of the military, like that, don't don't join the military as a stepping stone to the next thing. If your heart's not in joining the military, it doesn't sound like it is to me. So I would probably not even go that route yeah because i was like oh fuck yeah i'm gonna join the fucking military like it's gonna get me ready for everything and i did maps i'm like holy shit do i really want to do this yeah it was was like it was i'm ignorant what's that maps is uh what is military entrance uh something station um it's basically where they you know touch your balls turn your head and cough your bubble, all that good stuff to make sure and all that get you ready before you get shipped off well hey man i i hope the uh this was fruitful for you man hopefully we we pointed you in the right direction yeah all right i appreciate i appreciate being on the podcast even though it's very poorly but well made um no i said thank you not to take a shot at me okay (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate you man only podcast i listen to so it's awesome that's awesome, man. I appreciate it, man. Good luck, yeah. dude. And yeah, good thank, luck, dude. Thank you for your service. <laughs> You're welcome. Dude, that's awesome. I'm going to send you a patch. That's so fucking funny. All right. Um, ben, you got time for one more, dude? Sure. Okay. We'll get one yeah. more in here real quick. All right, Alejandro. Take care, man. All right. Thank you. By the way, I thought the the Toyota Thon thing was fucking hilarious. It was. <laughs> he didn't even like was- didn't even skip a beat. He was just like, Yeah, uh, so all right, we got one more. Are you there, buddy? I am. Hey, so welcome to the Toyotathon Blue Line Sheepdog Love Line Love Fest. Do you have a question for us? Yeah, I was wondering if you guys ever like stick extra socks in your crotch just to <laughs> intimidate criminals with your bulging manliness. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yes. The answer is yes. Uh, I love you, man. Um, <laughs> it, the thing that it, I swear to God, I had, I'm going to try to get the video. Um, I had a, a, a stolen car uh, like last summer, maybe that uh, another officer had found it in a parking lot and the, the driver was getting out of the car and she was doing her best to keep him engaged as I was screaming down the road to try to get to her. I pulled up and when I got out of the car, that's when he chose to run. Um, and I was right on him. I tackled him and we had, we had this thing, rolled him over and we're patting him down. And he had a pair of socks tucked up in his junk and he was wearing like these tight spandex shorts. So it was like giant. It looked like he had a freaking cantaloupe in between <laughs> his legs. And like, I think three people all at the same time were like, dude, what are you packing? And he was like, I swear to God, they're just socks, man. But yeah, that you threw me off with that story, that question. But I, I, um, I do not because no amount of socks would make me look impressive. <laughs> was that guy's shorts at least leopard print? Uh, no, I, I, I can't make it up because the video might come out. No, they were, they were black. And it was a rock for a ride, a uh, stolen car. Of course it was. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite videos, viral cop videos of all time, is when he's patting that guy down. He's like, hey, what is this? And he's like, that's my dick, sir. I assume everybody's yeah. seen that. I've been His there. face is amazing. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Ben, you know who this is, right? I do. Okay. My voice is unmistakable. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your question, man. I, I appreciate it. I, I thought we were going to get a legit question. All right. Do what, do what I can. Do what I can. Thanks for your service, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Bye. See you. See I think uh, other than that asshole calling in about the sock, this went pretty well, man. I, I enjoyed this. Yeah, it was fun. Um, man, I'm really impressed with some of the questions. And I'm really surprised that people have that level of respect for us that uh, someone in a command staff position would call in and ask us for advice. You know, when you say it like that, it makes my head kind of big. <laughs> I'm going to think about that all night. Like First time in your life. I'm sensitive about that. Okay, man. I've, I've How sensitive are you? Well, not very. It's not very like big. There's 30 not seconds or... sensitive or like four minutes sensitive. Dude, four minutes is a long time. Okay. It is. I've got to like, really like think about other things, other <laughs> things to last four <laughs> minutes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we did so great and then, you know, we're making cheap jokes, but as always, Ben, I just, I want to thank you for your service and your time on the podcast tonight. You're welcome. I did it for you, not for me. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, poorly made sheepdog blue line call-in show. I thought it was a lot of fun. So hopefully you guys liked it. Maybe we'll do this on a monthly basis to have you guys call in and do stuff like this. I thought it was really fun. So Ben, you got any final thoughts before I cut us out of here? Um, other than I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a really nice change of pace from some of the heavy topics that we get into generally when we get together and talk. So I had a lot of fun. I hope I get to be part of the next one. Oh, yeah, man. This The Toyota-thon, I got to stop calling it. I'm going to get sued. But the uh, Blue Line Sheepdog thing, I think we'll uh, we'll continue this on, man. I think that was a, it'll it'll be a good thing. And, and to be honest, I get, I talk shop a lot, man. So it's, it's nice to talk shop, but also have a little bit of a variety in it, you know? So it, it was good. It was good shit. Some levity. So, levity. That's a big word I don't understand. Well, um, thank you guys. As always, you guys know what to do. Punch in that credit card, that stolen credit card number, and uh, donate some money to keep this podcast going. Take care of the fine, fine sponsors of the podcast, because without them, I'd have to get a real job. And, of course, I've got merch and all kinds of good stuff. And, you know, keep telling your friends, all those people. Uh, check out my very bad YouTube channel. Uh, it's just another way to keep you guys entertained with dumb shit. With that said, remember, always bring an extra pair of socks. It's all bullshit, and I love most of you. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>